Recorded live. Welcome to podcast Winterfell. It's a special edition of the podcast. It's dedicated to a song of ice and fire theories that may have been trumped or may have been enforced by the television show. We're calling this Video Killed the Book Theory Star, and we're happy to have you along with us. I've got a great panel coming with me, but first, I am Matt Murdick. I am from podcastwinterfell.com. That's where you can find all of the back episodes of the podcast. You can find all kinds of other information, like all of our contact information, social media information, and podcast app links. And if you take the time to leave me a review in iTunes or Stitcher of the written kind, so that I know what you actually do or do not like about the show, then I will thank you in a future podcast. Right now we're pre-recording this, so I can't exactly keep the list up to date because I will have already updated that list in a, priorly, in a prior pre-recorded podcast. But uh, please leave those written reviews. They help me stay more noticeable among the game of, gate, great Game of Thrones podcasts that are out there already as well. And since there's about 3 billion of them, then uh, it's important to get those reviews to stay noticeable. Like some of the members of our panel who have their own great Game of Thrones podcast, like the Joffrey of Podcasts from the Double P Podcast Network. We welcome back one of our panelists returning and always a joy to talk to Bubba. Welcome back, sir, and I hope your holidays were well. Happy New Year, everybody. You've waited so long for another podcast, Winterfell, and I'm here to tell you, Show is spoiling the book. It's like night is day, day is night. Dire wolves and lions sleeping together. Mass hysteria. It's dire wolves is a good one, <laughs> actually, when we think about it. That is for sure. Uh, we also have with us, uh, joining back for the first time in quite a while, we want to welcome back uh, Stephanie. How are you? Hello. I'm glad to be back and talking with all you fabulous people. Short and sweet. And uh, someone who's, uh, I don't know whether she's short or sweet. Well, I do know that she's pretty sweet. We welcome back our one of our A Song of Ice and Fire authorities and a great line reader from the Grand Northern Conspiracy podcast, Susan. Welcome back. Thanks, Matt. And this sounds like a really fun topic to discuss, so I'm excited to be part of it. Excellent. And finally, the girl who actually moved my needle on the Grand Northern Conspiracy podcast. With, it took her 80 pages of a document to do so, but we welcome back the ever-popular and always extremely smart Kelly. Welcome back. Oh, thank you, Matt. It made my new year to hear that I moved your needle. <laughs> I'm going to try to talk a little deeper tonight to differentiate between Stephanie and myself. I just hear myself and her voice so much. I'm not sure if anyone else thinks we sound alike, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you sultry, Kelly, tonight. <laughs> oh, right on. Sultry, Kelly, to start the new year. 2017 is sultry, Kelly, year. Excellent. Uh, I just wanted to say before we start this podcast, we are going to be talking about everything in the Game of Thrones television show. So if you're a book reader and you're one of those people who abandoned the Game of Thrones... Um, because you don't want to be spoiled about what's going to be happening in the books. This podcast might not be for you. On the flip side, we will be talking about a lot of things that, uh, because some of them haven't happened in the show yet from the books, there's still a possibility they might happen. And so 
uh, I want to warn you off of this podcast. So to the three of you who are still listening, besides the panel members who will download it later to see how I chopped up their words and put them out of context, then uh, I would urge you to stick around with us. And this idea was inspired from a great email, email from Mariah. We actually read it on the 300th uh, celebration episode. Uh, and the email said, I think it would make for a good episode to do a, now that we've watched this last season, what do us book readers and show watchers think the books is going to go or where they're going to go uh, based on what happened in the show? I think it would be real fun to theorize and talk about what the book theories and are now and which ones might or might not make sense. So uh, that was a great idea. I know that Bubba and Kelly and I were talking about that and we decided we wanted to do it. And so it's great to have those two uh, back with me. And I didn't exactly know how to divide this up. I, I thought, well, we can go for easy ones, uh, which really kind of just truncates or, or trumps some of the more uh, outlandish theories that are out there. Uh, and then go into some characters that we haven't seen uh, in the show to date, and then go through uh, some of the more complicated nuances of some of the theories that are out there and how the show may have um, you know, endorsed them in a way or not. And uh, I guess one thing we can just talk about right off the bat uh, before we get to the actual list is the R plus L equals J. This was a widely accepted fan theory, and the show seems to have confirmed that, even though George R. R. Martin has never specifically done so in his books. Um, I, before we get into any of the other ones, Bubba, I want to ask you real quickly. Is there a need for George to do that? Do you feel like it, that R plus L equals J was so cemented that there was no reason to think otherwise? I did. I was so proud of myself. I always tell the story. I was so proud of myself after the first book. I figured it out. I was like, oh, this is great. And uh, then I you know, went online and quickly realized everybody had figured it out. But I thought after the first book, I figured it out this is great. But it is so obvious that of the million things I would love George to answer over the next 50 years as he releases these final two books, <laughs> I don't need to see R plus L equals J. I think I'll be okay. All right. Um, Kelly, same? Same. I love to tell this story. I was so proud when I was sitting with my friend at her apartment and she told me her theory of R plus L equals J and I felt super dumb <laughs> when she spelled it all out for me. And I realized that oh, obviously this is the case. <laughs> uh, no, I, I think it's very elegantly weaved in and does not need a uh, explanation in the text enough to be proven it's true. And I think it's very satisfying, which makes it even better. So. I agree that the show was able to spell it out for viewers, and the Bookman readers are more than happy to say that we knew it before it was spelled out for us, except for me yes. in my friend's so, apartment. <laughs> kind of the last red wedding for us book fans, right? There's nothing more to hold back from the TV viewers, it seems like. Oh, I think there might be. We'll get to it, but there's a couple of things that I think. Ooh. Are you are you saying are you saying the things that will show up in the show at all, or things that when they read the book that they will be surprised by? Because those are kind uh, of things that would show up in the show. Ah, then there's only one thing that might be coming. Okay, yeah. It limits it down. Limits it down. Stephanie, how about you? How did you feel uh, about the the rather hit you over the head reveal of R plus L equals J on the show? And does George need to be that blatant in the books? 
I was actually just going to say that. I think it was well done in the show since maybe just viewers only wouldn't have gotten that. I know I have friends that probably wouldn't have gotten that. But for George to do it in the book, yeah, that would be a little heavy-handed and kind of something that's over the head with it. <laughs> right on. Right on. Uh, Susan, last word on this. Okay. Well, I loved the way they did it in the show. I loved the, how they had the you know, little baby John and then went to – uh, John Snow's uh, face. I thought that was uh, really sweet. It made me feel real emotional when it happened. Um, and I expect that George will spell it out somewhat in the books. I don't think it's going to be something that doesn't get touched on at all. In fact, I expect that you know there'll be some uh, more reveal or discussion about the whole Tower of Joy incident. You know how the the fight went down between the the uh, uh, Kingsguard and uh, Ned and his men, because I still think there's some questions about that. I mean, we saw what we saw in Ned's fever dream, but still, you know, I think that there's some some things that it would be good for George to, you know, clarify a little bit. Ah, interesting. Very interesting. Who do you suspect would be the person that that would reveal would come from? Would it be Howland Reed? Is he the only one who could? Um, Or in a brand vision. Or in a brand vision. Yeah. Very good. Excellent. All right. Well, I, with that, uh, let's kill some uh, other easy ones. Um, the, people have a lot of fun with this. And, and while technically, um, I guess you could say that I suppose it's still possible in the books, but it doesn't really seem like this theory was kind of out there in the first place. But the old popular Roose Bolton is a vampire or the Bolton theory even um, and some, in some ways those are very connected and very alike, and in some ways they're a little different. But um, maybe some book readers could hold on to this theory for books only. But I, I, with Roos dying, it doesn't seem like that there's much of a possibility of this now, right? Anyone? Unless he comes back from the grave like a good vampire would. <laughs> mm, that's true. That's true. Um, and Kelly, you'd made a point uh, about Roos as well that was different from the books, right? Yeah, I, I couldn't remember, and you'll have to forgive me, a lot of this show stuff, I've merged too much with the book stuff, but I can't recall if he had actually done any of that leeching in the show that was talked about so heavily in the books. And I think that was kind of a, a key component of the bolt-on theory. <laughs> yeah, there was, there I was agree. no leechings in the show. No show leeching. So, no yeah, show I leeching. Did, I think they might have just um, consolidated away that theory a little bit. It was one step too far, and uh, or they didn't, they weren't smart enough to see it, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> well, Gendry is. Does that make Gendry a vampire? He got leeched. More, he has more case for the show than <laughs> than Bolt Roos does at this point. Yeah. <laughs> Susan, did you ever buy into the Roos Bolton theory? Uh, I didn't really. That was not something I ever really got into. And how about you, Stephanie? I loved it. I thought it was hilarious that there could be a vampire. We have ice zombies, we have dragons, we have blood magic, we have smoke monster babies. I thought got Frankenstein. <laughs> yeah, add Frankenstein to that list, right? Well, yeah, that's true, Frankenstein. So, you know, a vampire, why not? I think I thought it was funny, and I always liked Ruth Bolton in the book, so... I don't think it's going to be true, though. Uh, 
Excellent. So, so were you surprised by Bruce Bolton's death when you saw it on the show? I was. I was really surprised. Um, I think probably, I mean, Ramsey's such a sadistic, crazy person. We should have seen it coming, but it was still very surprising to me. I don't know about you guys, but I was, that was one of the moments of season six that really shocked me. It was really audacious that he did it just there. Like the, the, the dog thing, you know, with his, with um, uh, Walda and the baby, you can kind yeah. of like, you know, claim off that, you know, there were no witnesses. It just happened. Oh, so sad. But like, he just did it in the hall and that was the Lord. And that was like, the, and there the fact that he killed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a little intense. So the, the, the audacity of it was a little shocking for that, for that purpose. But um do you guys think that that this, I don't want to take the conversation in a direction, but were we comparing the show to the book? Or are we saying that the book, the show is killing these theories? Because would you say that this makes the theory less plausible? You don't think it'll happen, Matt? <laughs> I really don't think it'll happen. Uh, and uh, as far as that goes, I, I think that that Bubba had a, a a really good point, which we can bring up uh, in a in a couple of places. But the fact that uh, Bubba, you were saying, what about Ram Ramsey and the Pink Letter? Well, yeah. So, you know, the show and the book timelines are, are so divergent at times, even though a lot of times the same thing happens. And so, at the end of the Dance with Dragons, this is going to the Pink Letter, and the in the Pink Letter, the Pink Letter is signed Ramsey Bolton true-born lord of Winterfell. And one of the things that I believe George R. R. Martin himself kind of mentioned when he wanted people thinking about the pink letter is, well, why would Ramsey, if Ramsey wrote it, why would he title himself true-born lord of Winterfell? And so I was wondering if, once again, the show wasn't kind of spoiling the books by saying, hey, guess what? At the end of Dance with Dragons, Roos is dead. Ramsey killed him. And so uh, I think it could certainly be we no longer have a POV character in Winterfell to really tell us this. But I wouldn't be surprised if we find out that uh, Roos got Ramsey. Interesting. Interesting. Well, here's my whole take on, on that, Bubba, if you'll indulge me for just a second. And that is that was Roose Bolton ever named Lord of Winterfell or just Warden of the North? Because I always assumed that he would return to the Dreadfort, and Ramsay was only becoming Lord of Winterfell because of his marriage to Fagaria. Uh I never read it that way. I think we may have to call up some of our A Song of Ice and Fire scholars to really confirm. You may be completely correct, but the show, I thought, for such a great villain that Roos should have been, I thought his death on the show was a little underwhelming. But the main thing it made me think is, oh, well, of course, Roos would be killed by Ramsey, especially when he, when Walda was pregnant. And mm -hmm. so I thought, oh, did the show just spoil a moment from the Winds of Winter? And that's that's what it felt like to me. I never believed in the vampire theory, but like a lot of people, I love fun, silly theory, so I enjoyed it a lot. So, uh, my thought thought is that does this mean that in one of the early chapters of the North of the Winds of Winter, one of the first things we're going to hear is 
Bruce is dead. Could be. Could be. The, the, the interesting thing is, is that now at Winterfell, we really don't have a POV character in there anymore, do we? The closest we'll get is Asha. I think if you know if Stannis wins and he gets and he takes his <laughs> group to Winterfell, then he would be. Then she would be there as well. I think that's my guess. Or Theon. Yeah, I guess Theon is with her too. I'm not sure what that would. I think they no. He said Theon with um, Jane to the wall, right? Or did they all? No. No, not yet. Okay. Oh yeah, they're gonna. <laughs> just kidding. Oh. When's the winner? When's the winner discussion? Susan, correct us. <laughs> yeah. Well, so <laughs> that that's gonna happen. In, was that in the sample chapter of When's the Winner? Yes. Okay. Been a while since yeah. I read Theon, so. Okay. And Matt, uh, Matt I, I do agree with you in terms of the titles. I do think that uh, that you're correct in terms of, uh, uh, you know, Reese's title as uh, Warden of the North and that he would be the, the uh, Lord of the Dreadfort rather than Winterfell. But I also kind of agree with Bubba that it just seems strange that Ramsey would send that pink letter if Reese is still around. That is an interesting point, and I bet we're going to get to more to that later when we talk about the GNC, aren't we, Kelly? You know it. <laughs> <laughs> Stephanie, I'll, any final thoughts back. on this? No, no more thoughts on that. <laughs> okay, all right. I do want to. Great. I do want to add. I do want to add, like like Stephanie pointed out, there is a really good, like even if there, it's not true, it's a fun homage that people kind of put together. This connection, like Frankenstein, was kind of obvious, but and the White Walkers and zombies thing is kind of obvious, but like the pulling in the classical horror of a vampire was less obvious, and I thought it was really creative. So I would be disappointed if more came of it, but you know, it seems a little far fetched for it to be like you know, Gregor is not you know. Frankenstein and the White Walkers are not zombies. So for it to be so obvious as he is technically literally a vampire wouldn't happen, but it would be maybe more inclined towards it if there were more clues. You know what I'm saying? Understood. Okay. (laughs) If Roos is or is not a vampire, can we all agree now that Euron is not Dario Noharis? At least in the show, we know for sure that he is not Dario Naharis in the show, which means he's not Benjamin Stark and he's not Septa Lamore and he's not all of that other stuff that I always make fun of. Um, but Stephanie, let's go to you first this time. Um, where were you on the Euron equals Dario theory at, at any one point, and um, how do you feel uh, about things now? I was always kind of with you, Matt, on the Dario equals. Benjen equals Euron equals everyone. Um, I never really put much stock into it. Um, I always like to joke about it, but I don't really have anything poignant to say except that it was just kind of fun to say that there's five different characters that are actually just one character masquerading around. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Uh, Susan, how about you? Did you ever buy into the Euron equals Dario theory? No, I didn't. It's another one of those that, to me, just didn't make any sense. Fair enough. Straight up. Kelly, how about you? No, I, I thought it was, very, it was a reach, and it was very clever, but there was a lot of 
factual things that made it difficult to uh, to get behind. So I was not disappointed. And, you know, they, the visual part of it that they couldn't do it in the show was a clear restriction that they couldn't prove it in the show. But um, it being disproven by the show is less obvious to me because of, you know, the, the way they completely didn't do the um, Barristan reveal. I feel like that's a problem that they just kind of worked around. So would I say that it disproves it? No, <laughs> in the book, but uh, I think it, it makes it even less likely. It's kind of a strike against it. Yeah, good point. Good point. And Bubba, I'll give you the last word on this because I know you wanted to speak about uh, the Winds of Winter uh, also in terms of Euron. Well, first off, let me say I feel like we need somebody to represent this for equal time. And I'll mm. say that I'm not that person. I thought this was a dumb theory <laughs> and I agreed with it. But uh, listeners, write Podcast Winterfell, hit Winterfell Pod on Twitter, and, and, and sell your Euron equals Dario theory, because I, I would love to go there. I would say one thing that uh, I think the show missed a great opportunity in is introducing Euron so late and having him only appear in two episodes of season six in that uh, the Winds of Winter preview chapter is out. Uh, in that preview chapter, the damp hair has a vision of sure enough Euron in King's Landing and I believe the uh, Red Keep's throne room if I understand the vision correctly. And it, the book seemed to be definitely building Euron up as this great uh, character, this great terrible force out there. And in the show, there's just no way they can do it. And so uh, part of me wonders why the show waited so long to introduce him since these chapters, uh, especially this preview chapter of Winds of Winter, seems to make him such a great kind of potential threat out there. But because the show, you know, introduced him in season six and then only in two episodes and then in both minor scenes is two episodes. Is this, once again, the showrunners kind of playing their hand and saying, you know what? Euron's not really all that. He's not much of anything. And so mm. I, I didn't know if, once again, the show could kind of be hinting at something. I, I was going to open that up for debate if anybody wanted to jump in. Yeah, well, I can tell you, first of all, I can tell you exactly the reason why Dave and Dan waited so late, because uh, George hasn't been writing. That's why they waited so late. They were waiting on George to give him more information, and he wouldn't. Um, but uh, let it. Let's open it up for debate. Kelly, what do you think of Bubba's thoughts there? I think it's def it could be possible. There's a lot of things that go into making a show, and I'm sure you're considered that Bubba. But I'm just my thought goes more in that direction of like they didn't want to touch the king's mood. It seems like it seemed like they just kept putting that off and putting that off and. When they finally did do it, it was really disappointing. So I'm, I'm, my, that kind of leads into what I'm thinking that is bleeding into Euron is just that disappointment of like we don't know what to do with the Ironborn right now. So that is my interpretation of his lack of luster in the show. Um, it could also be the actor isn't ideal for it. There's a couple of things that more in the production side that I kind of scrunch my nose at when I think about it. Um, but I don't think it has anything to do with the plot. Like, I feel like it has more to do with their ability to execute. Mm, very interesting. Uh, Susan, you have a thought? Uh, yes, I have a lot of thoughts on this one. 
Um, All right. I think, yeah, I think that Euron is shaping up to be very important in the books. I think it'll be really different than the show. Um, I tend to support the idea that if we look at the series as kind of a three-act, that Joffrey was the villain in Act 1 and Ramsey in Act 2, and that Euron is shaping up to be the big bad in Act 3. Um, that uh, I think that if people want to uh, read some interesting stuff about this, that there is someone on Twitter who also has a Tumblr by the name of Poor Quentin, and he's written a lot about uh, Euron. Uh, he talks about uh, what he calls the Eldritch Apocalypse, that Euron's going to be this big magical villain as magic takes a larger role in these last two books. And uh, I think he's going to be very interesting. Um, one thing, I think, from Melisandre, from some of her visions, when she talked about uh, seeing the towers by the sea submerged beneath the black and bloody tide, and that will be where the heaviest blow will fall. And she really didn't know where that was. And she kind of said, oh, yeah, maybe that's Eastwatch, but she didn't really think that's what it looked like. I have a feeling that she's looking at Old Town, and as we see this this uh, sample chapter of Euron and how he's going to be, uh, you know, with uh, uh, his brother Aaron having these visions about this uh, tide of blood that he's going to be sailing on, I think that we're going to see a lot coming from him. It's going to be pretty gruesome. Yeah. Uh, Stephanie, a thought on that? Well, I just kind of wanted to touch on your other point, Matt, that you said um, maybe Dave and Dan didn't do much with Euron because George hasn't been writing. Um, so kind of to veer off, do you, are we ever going to get the Winds of Winter? Because, you know, normally we get an update from George about now and we haven't heard anything. So is he even writing or is he just leaving us all discussing these theories for endless hours? Yeah, I think the pressure has passed since the book is now passed, or the show is now past the books, and right. no, like he doesn't have the pressure of finishing it before the next season. It's just not going to happen, so he's going to focus on that, and that seems fair. <laughs> but yeah, it is kind of like, they're so divergent now. I like what you said, Susan, about the, the importance of Yaron in the books. Sorry, I just wanted to, <laughs> I was kind of getting yeah. giddy while you said that. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, but I I would say this goes to, you know, importance in the book in that, you know, some characters, quote unquote, are important in the book, but when will they really, quote unquote, be important to the end game? I think if you look at A Dance with Dragons and you look at, sure enough, poor Quentin Martell, he, he had a big point, he had a big part of the book. He was a friggin' POV chapter and we followed him on this journey. And in the end, he really didn't have much of an impact in the end. Uh, and then I'm wondering that, you know, here we're following uh, through someone else's POV, admittedly, but we're following Euron. But once again, does this imply that his impact in the end is rather minor? I admit it's tough to see because, you know, there's a chance he could suddenly take over season seven. Uh, I doubt it, but I he could, so... That's just my thought process there about, you know, quote, unquote, impact, you know, quote, unquote, importance. You know, like I was saying, Quentin Martell had the importance enough to get his own POV chapters. But was Quentin really, quote, unquote, important to the story? Uh, I yeah. wouldn't think so. 
Can I respond to that? Sure. Um, and I agree, Father. I think that in, in the end end game, that I mean, Euron isn't going to be one of the people that makes it to the end or becomes one of the main figures in the end. I think that um, that he's there to cause a lot of problems. And I do believe that uh, looking at Quentin, looking at Aegon, and looking at Euron, who all kind of came in here in the you know Feast for Crows, Dance with Dragons timeline. I think they all are kind of distractions uh, for what's going on in the end game with our main heroes, but they're there to cause problems. I mean, like, uh, for instance, in the uh, in Danny's uh, uh, House of the Undying, when she talks about the Mummer's Dragon uh, being there to give the heroes something to fight. Okay, so there's Aegon who's there. He's the mummer's dragon. He's there to give the heroes something to fight. He's not going to be important in the end game when it, I think it's going to come down to our heroes of John, Danny, and, and uh, Tyrion being the, the three that everybody thinks are going to be so important to the, to the very end game. But I think that all of them are going to have kind of dark arcs, meaning John, Danny, and Tyrion, uh, things that they're going to be going through and win. And some of it will be what they're dealing with with these characters. Not Quentin, his role's gone, obviously, but with Aegon and Euron. Interesting. Very interesting. Uh, Stephanie, let's go back to you. I know that you brought this one to the table for us to discuss. You wanted to talk about Stannis and whether he's on a feudal mission. How do you, how do you feel about that? You know, I, I have I had high hopes for him in the book because... He's the only one, you know, that came to the North's aid. He believed John. He wanted to, know, you know, defeat the, Rant, the Boltons. Um, and so in the, in the show, when they killed him off, I was actually really I was surprised by that, too. Um, you know, Melisandre believed he was Azor Ahai. Clearly, she switched that prophecy to John. But, um, you know, I, I wish... He he wasn't on a futile mission. I wish he would. I wish he would be like the king of the north. I don't even know that, but I, I just like Stannis, and I was just kind of sad to see how his story ended. He just kind of, you know, he got defeated, and then Brienne killed him. It was just I don't know. It was kind of a lackluster ending for him. Yeah, and you would have liked to seen uh, something better, right? Let's yes. let's toss it around the room. Um, I I don't know what this really says about Stannis' future in the books. Um, he hasn't even gotten to Winterfell in the books, but uh, I don't know. We'll we'll see uh, we'll see what happens once he gets to Winterfell. I suppose one thing is for certain: the same people aren't there, and that that's going to be a, a question for later as well. Uh, Susan, what do you think about Stannis? I mean, do, does the show here? tell us that, that Stannis is going to die and the show just dispensed with him in the best way that they could? Um, I don't think the show ever got Stannis very good. I don't think Dan and David really uh, got his character uh, or really portrayed him real well in the in the show. So I was very disappointed. I think, you know, it, it, just, it wasn't a satisfying end for him. I do think that I don't think he'll make it to the end, but I think it will be more significant. 
I think he is going to capture Winterfell, and um, I believe that he likely is going to sacrifice his daughter. I think it's kind of uh, George playing around with the uh, Agamemnon theory from the you know, Greek-Trojan uh, War, who Agamemnon—I'm Ag- not pronouncing that right—Agamemnon Agamemnon. Yeah, had to sacrifice his daughter. Uh, to get favorable winds to sail to Troy. I mean, I think that I think that Stannis. I think that there's been all sorts of hints from the you know several books on to where he's going to have this uh, uh, feeling that he has to do this horrendous act in order to defeat the others or or something. And I think that it it will come down to something like that. And in the end, it will be that he you know is wrong. He's not a Zora High but I think it will be much more satisfying than the way that the show portrayed it. Understood. Understood. Kelly, what do you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree with Susan. And, and kind of combining that with kind of what we were talking about with Euron before, there's a way that the characters can be categorized into whether they're creating distractions or whether their efforts are kind of more productive and positive towards what this main final end game, which is going to be the, the battle um, for the Dawn remake thing that they have coming up. And, it seems like Stannis is, is more tragic because he has worked productively to create positive um, alliances and, and bringing people together to, um, in a way that looks like they are more ready for this battle. And the fact that he did die in the show was really sad and it seems kind of empty, except for if you, which is weird because if you read the book, you're like, no, he's not dead. But you kind of enjoyed that Brienne was the one that killed him because he's such a dick to women. <laughs> kind of balanced it out for me a little bit, but um, yeah, I, I think that uh, he's got more to do in the, in the books and I appreciate more of his character in the, in the books. Um, I love the actor. So it was kind of hard to, to say that um, I don't appreciate the character as much in the show, but yeah, the, the writing for him wasn't as um, satisfying, I guess. Like, and I, and I love the quote of Donald Noy because it kind of did come to fruition in the show is that, you know, he is, pure iron and he will break before he bends and that's what his fate was and I think that'll be true in the book it'll be true in the book but it will be after he's done more positive things and he's been more productive for humanity at that point which will be tragic but that's George (laughs) right on and Bubba I'll turn to you first of all before uh, you give your take on Stannis um, I know that you've got some points to make but I want to ask you um, does the pink letter already tell us what has happened to Stannis? Matt, I'm going to answer possibly yes. I know that's kind of a weak answer, putting the qualifier possibly in front of it. But I I want to go there, and I want to respectfully disagree with Susan in a lot of ways. And I, I started thinking about it because, to be completely honest, when and how the show killed Stannis was one of the most shocking things to me because uh, I was there with everybody. I was there where like, okay, Stephanie, he's there at the Crofters village. He's got the lakes, which he can lure people out onto and, you know, have them sink in the lake and there, you know, get a good victory. But I, because it feels like Martin has left so many clues for how Stannis could win. Hell, the phrase we're marching out to, to get him have the Manderleys about to stab him in the back. And so in just my whole thought process, I've been thinking, okay, he's definitely going to win this battle of the Crofters village. But I started thinking about the feast dance tandem again. 
And if you look at books as a whole, you have certain things. You have Danny, Cersei, and John getting put in leadership positions and all kind of failing for different reasons. And I suddenly started thinking, well, what if, you know, we had Quentin on this feudal mission and, you, you know, you're reading him the whole time and you're thinking to yourself, okay, he's going to go there, he's going to go to Daenerys, he's going to make things happen. And once again, it was a, a true lesson of futility. I started thinking, well, what if Candace's mission was kind of like the parallel to Quentin's, which, and it turned out to also be a feudal mission. And let me say, if that ends up being true in the book, in a lot of ways, I'll be blown away. I'll tip my cap to, to Martin in a million different ways. Because there are ways that, you know, Stannis is in the most precarious position you could possibly have. And it does make more kind of logical sense if we now all agree John is one way or another going to become king of the north if he's the one who takes Winterfell as opposed to Stannis and this, uh, you know, kind of army of characters we don't really care about. And so I flipped the script. I guess I used to think like Susan, but now the show has me thinking that that poor Stannis <laughs> could end up the same fate that poor Quentin does. Uh, obviously, you know, we won't know uh, for another 10 years until the book comes out, but <laughs> I, I think that would be, to be, it would almost be mind-blowing to see how, you know, Stannis is in such a bad place. You know, he's in such a bad place. But Martin, Martin has sprinkled so many hints of, well, yeah, he could do this, he could do that, he could do this. You know, he has so many advantages. Ooh, he could try this trick that they tried at the sisters, you know, that we've talked about in some of our things. And I suddenly thought, well, boy, if he's hinted, left all these hints to make us think that, you know, he, had, he has a chance and then he didn't have a chance, it would blow me away. Now, how in the world does that tie in? how in the world could Stannis then tie into the burning of Shireen? Because in the book, she's back uh, at Castle Black. I forget if she and her uh, posse have left for uh, the, what was it, the night fort they were going to move to. But uh, I'm beginning to see how it definitely could be an early winter for poor Stannis. Uh, I rambled on there a bit. I don't know if anybody Mm. wants to jump in. Oh, well, I I like that you brought up the whole, Shireen thing. Let's just go ahead and jump to that. I have it later down in the list, but let's, since we're here, let's go ahead and talk about this. Like you mentioned, uh, Shireen is currently at the wall with his, her mother, Selyse, and with Melisandre. And my whole thing is, of course, the suggestion about sacrificing Shireen came uh, from Melisandre, right, to Stannis. So does Stannis have to be involved in that? I know from a character standpoint that would make it very interesting and very harsh and and make us rethink how we like Stannis in the books or not. But what if this is more about, because of the way the timeline is in A Song of Ice and Fire, what if this becomes more about Melisandre rather than just saying words over Jon about she feeling a sacrifice needs to be made to bring Jon back? Is that a possibility? Um, What do you think, Stephanie? I think that's definitely a possibility just because Stannis isn't there physically with Shireen or Melisandre. So he can't actually say, hey, stop, stop, like, let's not do this. Um, I'm sure Shireen, I'm not sure if I remember correctly, but I'm sure she has guards and everything around her. So there'd be plenty of people to stop Melisandre if she wanted to do such a sacrifice. But, you know, Selyse, 
her mother might just be like, yeah, okay, let's do it. Um, so I think it's a definite possibility. Again, I was shocked by it in the show. Um, that was one of the moments that made me cry. That was so heartbreaking to watch Shireen burn. Um, I, I, I can't believe that Stannis did that. I don't think book Stannis would allow it, though. Yeah. Uh, and I could see Celise personally, I could see her saying, yes, go ahead. And then right. having regrets as it was happening um, to give her a moment because we've never really liked Celise all that much in the books, right? Um, what do you think, Kelly? Yeah, I agree. I could see Celise going, uh, being charmed, or she's a fanatic. You know, she'll follow her leader, who is Melisandre. So she'll, she'll, if that's what she suggests. I don't know how Melisandre would sell it to Celise. Um, I don't know if she would have to, or just by saying so, this must be done. Because if it's to be done to raise John, it seems like she would be forsaking her belief in Stannis as a Zora High, which is kind of maybe one of the reasons why Felice is so strongly supporting her, is that her husband is this heroic figure. Um, but yeah, if, if that doubt is not maybe presented, maybe if she just presents it as, we need to do this as a sacrifice for your Lord Husband's success far away somewhere and then it's secretly to raise john something like that could i I could see that but i'm not george guys i can't write this i don't know (laughs) but yeah i could see somehow (laughs) that happening (laughs) i could see her um doing this sacrifice if it's going to play out like it does in the show um there's more to shireen i think though than than just as a sacrifice so that would be um i think disappointing not even like sad it would just be kind of a Want want to the to the book. Um, there's a whole that whole thing with Val. When Val is a little bit more, she's horrified at Shireen being at uh, Castle Black, and there seems to be more going on about her having grayscale and that storyline. I think I feel a little let down if, if that thing comes something. And she is kind of an underdog. She's a she's a broken thing, and I want her to survive. <laughs> so I hope that part. Yeah, I hope that part's not true. Yeah. Now, Bubba, what if? I told you that Melisandre is going to tell Shireen or tell Celise that she has to sacrifice Shireen in order to save Joffrey Baratheon. Get, get a match. Let's do this. <laughs> um, but, could but, you see? But Matt, but Matt, if I could jump in and say, I think thematically, even though it, it was impossible to see books. Stannis doing it at the time it aired on the TV show, and it was actually kind of impossible to see TV Stannis do it, because it felt like in just one or two episodes before he had said, are you crazy we're not doing it? (laughs) But I think for the narrative to pay off, Stannis does have to be a part of it. And so does does that mean for example, he has a terrible loss at the Crofter's Village, and then he writes to the wall and says have them do it? You know, I don't know. I, I feel like because of the vision of everybody's favorite buddy, Patchface, um, amongst <laughs> the skulls there at the wall, I almost feel like it has to happen there. But I, that may not be true either. I, I, difficult to see the future is. Yeah, and there was the whole scene where in The Winds of Winter when Stannis tells Justin Massey that, you know, you will support Shireen's claim to the Iron Throne. I mean, of course, he's just saying that, and he isn't saying it in front of Theon, and so maybe there's some doubt that could be claimed because of the audience, but it, it, I mean, his character doesn't seem to have any reason to think that Shireen's going anywhere. She seems to be his future, 
hopes. So it seems odd that he would have any inclination to do that in the future. Does that make sense? Yeah, unless he wants a shadow baby rule in the Iron Throne. Exactly. In his, after he's gone. <laughs> I think he prefers, uh, his, his, uh, <laughs> he prefers his stone baby. <laughs> yeah. Susan, we haven't heard from you yet. Any thoughts on uh, Shireen? Yeah. Um, well, first off, I mean, I won't rule out that she could be used in the uh, Melisandre resurrecting John situation, but I mean, I, that's a possibility, but I tend to think less of that. Uh, I think John is going to is not going to come back quite so soon in the book as he did in the show. I think he may remain in Ghost, and there's some other possibilities of things that could happen there. So um, I do still think it's possible that Shireen could join Stannis. Uh, I agree with Baba. I think he's going to be involved in it in some way. It's going to be this tragedy. That, uh, that he actually comes to that. I just don't think it's going to happen because he needs to melt a little bit of snow to make it to Winterfell. Understood. Very good. Well put. Um, with that, uh, we do have one other one in our easy category, and that is uh, Bran is not the Night King, at least not yet. Uh, Stephanie, did, were you a supporter of the Bran is the Night King theory? No, but I like it. Um, I think I first heard it from a YouTuber called James of Thrones. Um, he has this whole big theory that Bran is gonna he's gonna turn into the Night King, and somehow they're gonna save I think Westeros. Um, I think it would be a neat idea because now Bran kind of kind of uh, you know lost the plot. He made the Knights King come to him and now they can possibly cross the wall and, you know, um, I'm rambling, but I think it would just be an interesting thing if Bran became the Knights King because we see the Night King as this evil being. We don't really know much about him. So. All right. Very good. Uh, any thoughts on that, guys? I mean, uh, is, is there any possibility in the book's do we feel that uh, Brand's role will become more sinister in the story? Well, no. I think Matt, this comes from I think this comes from the fact that Brand has done things which we're constantly told are wrong. You know, Brand has has warged into Hoder, and we're told that's wrong. Brand theoretically, if you believe Jojen Pace, Brand has tasted, you know, Brand has tasted human blood. And so I think the thought process, or many of these theories, came from, you know, Brand keeps doing things that you're told you're not supposed to do. Now, I never thought he would become a Night King-like character, but I did think he might cause some terrible things to happen. That's just from the books. And sure sure enough, on the most recent season of Game of Thrones, we did see him cause some terrible things to happen to our good buddy Hodor. So while I never believed this theory, I think Bran's uh, ability to uh, stark things up uh, is still definitely a possibility. Okay, very interesting. Uh, Susan, how about you? Uh, yeah, I don't think that Bran or Blood Raven, uh, aka Brendan Rivers, are going to turn out to be evil. I do think that, or the Children of the Forest, I think they are going to be great characters. I think they may do some things that are questionable ethically 
uh, in terms of, of what uh, you know the actions to hopefully in the end be supposedly helping to get to the end game, but they may do some bad things on the way to getting there. But I don't think either of them are going to be evil or that the children of the forest are evil. I just don't buy that part of it. Understood. Understood. Kelly, last word on it. I'll have the second to last word because I'm going to make you have a statement on this. But my just argument against it was that the Bran was told he would never walk again, but he would fly and clearly saw the Night's King walking. So debunked, I think, is the word you're looking for. Matt, what do you think? <laughs> well, I, as you know, I like to say Bran, Bran everywhere, but not in no. uh, a white, icy clad kind of outfit now. Yes, yeah, yeah, specifically stalking his half brother John. No. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Uh, what, while we're here at the because we talked a little bit about the children of the forest, let's just go ahead and, and kind of unwrap that one uh, while we're here because the show um, gave us a reveal about the origin of the White Walkers. Um, do we feel like that the books are going to offer a similar reveal? Um, there's a uh, Blu-ray uh, history and lore from the season six Blu-rays that explains that there's kind of a gap between the time of the pact at the God's Eye and the Long Night. Um, and I'm just kind of wondering if if George has been hiding this reveal about the Children of the Forest creating the White Walkers for some kind of you know dramatic revealing effect later on, because even in like the World of Ice and Fire and everything else. We have nothing in terms of textual evidence to indicate that the first men were attacked by the White Walkers before the pact. Um, so was that information just omitted and strictly given to the to the showrunners uh, in order to create, because he'd been holding on to it for a more dramatic reveal in the next book where Bran is still with Blood Raven? Um, let's go to you, Susan, first. Yeah, uh, I find this to be very interesting. I When I first saw it on the show, I thought, oh, that's how it happened. But then the more I thought about it, the more I also agree with, you know, you know I read and saw things about it not really syncing up with the timeline of what we know about the history. But then again, we're told that this, you know, the histories could be, could be wrong in certain ways because if, you know, some of this is, it's so ancient that we don't know if they've got it right. So right. I really, you know, this is one that I'm kind of torn about. I'm not sure. I think it's possible that they're going to go that way, but I don't think it's a given. Yeah. Well, I, I was going to say that's a good point because, you know, the, the, the stories of the first men have been passed down basically orally, and we all know how, you know, if you play a game of telephone, what happens there. Um, also, uh, information gets lost, and uh, other than runes, the, the first men didn't archive any kind of their history. So um, right. that's an excellent point. Um, and George, George himself has, has made uh, comments about the fact that you can't necessarily take all of that uh, uh, you know, as verbatim or you know, the way it definitely is. Very good. Very good. Uh, let's go to you, Stephanie. What do you think about the origin of the White Walkers, or even the way the the others we've been shown that the others are new others, I guess, are created um, in the show with a with a touch from the Night King, he can create a baby. That's where uh, Craster's babies have been going. 
Well, with regards to the how the White Walkers were first made in the Children of the Forest, when I first saw that, I was like, this might be controversial, guys, but I was like, wow, that's pretty lame. Like, what? Seriously? Like, there's just this human, presumably a human, the Children of the Forest stab him with a magic icicle, and he turns into the Night King. And then all of a sudden, you know, they become this, quote-unquote evil race of beings that just get away from the children of the forest. I don't know. I, I, I kind of didn't want to believe that that's the way George was going. Um, to me, it just seemed, like I said, it was kind of lame. I'm not sure what I would have wanted from that, but it just seemed like, you know, Frankenstein's monster got got away from him. And, you know, I don't know. Just not very – I didn't like it. <laughs> I can understand be- that. Go ahead, I'll, be the, I'll be the counterpoint and say that I did like it. I think one of the things that it definitely made me feel when I saw it on the show, because, you know, I was talking about Euron being in only two episodes in a very short scene. The show gave us what I believe you would call the Cliff Notes version of how the White Walkers were created. If you look at that, mm-hmm. it's at the most, what do you think, a, a two and a half minute scene? The explanation is like the explanation is like two lines, and so I do like it. I think certainly when George, when and if George gives us to it, there'll be more uh, what you would call meat on the bone, more kind of facts to round it out and kind of explain it in detail and all. But I I did like it. It's like okay, that that makes plenty of sense. That works with the history as as I knew it. I know there are these gaps about what happened when, but one of the things George always says in interviews is about how the timing of things, you know, well, that's what people say. He he always goes to that. So I liked it in the show. I think it it was a, you know, two word, two sentence explanation of what we'll find out in the book. And uh, I assume I'm just going to like it more in the book. So uh, I was down with it. Cool. Mm -hmm. Kelly, how about you? I I can agree with with the both of you, but I, I have to, to <laughs> I have to sway a little more. I, I honestly agree a little bit more with Stephanie. I think the the feeling I got from the um, the others, the White Walkers, the they were another race, they were another species, they were another being, and the fact that they came from humans felt a little deflating, like a little. I use that word a lot tonight, sorry. Yeah, but, <laughs> yeah it was just a little uh, underwhelming. Um, it was a little bit of a salve on the wound that it was kind of um, ironic and how uh, your creature comes back to bite you kind of situation. And that's, that was a little bit more narratively interesting than it could have been if it was just we created them um, and now they exist. So I guess that, that gave a little bit more oomph to the, to the narrative, but it, it didn't feel as exciting as if this is another race and we must learn to negotiate and live together or find some way like to think that years and years and years ago there was this negotiation that happened between these three different species was really exciting and you could say that now it, they have become another species um they're so different at this point but their origin story was um less thrilling i think the fact that they came from humans because that kind of makes it feel a little bit more human centric and I'm a little opposed to that. My Star Trek background makes me feel like it's a little too human-centered universe. <laughs> it makes the children of the forest even that less, I don't, I don't know, real Magical. at that point. 
Yeah, well, yeah, they don't seem, they seem like they are the only other not human creatures and they're wiped out. So it kind of makes that, that whole characteristic of the story, that, that fantastical part of it feel less exciting. Does that make sense? Well, <laughs> Kelly, Kelly and yeah. Stephanie, would you, let's go back to, gosh, what was it, season three or season four? I forget was it, which one it was, but what did you think when, when you saw Crafter's kids become, you know, become the become the White Walkers. Did that did that disappoint you that oh a human could be turned into a White Walker in that sense, or or was it just this oh they completely started from you know human beings? I have an answer. Go ahead, Stephanie. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say I actually liked um, the way they did the baby thing. Um, you know, with the Knights King being all creepy and then all the White Walkers standing around him. And um, maybe because I was more not as cynical back then in season three, <laughs> but uh, I, I, I liked that reveal. Um, and the fact that they did start from humans, just, yeah, it kind of was a little bit of a letdown. So I don't know. Maybe that was backtracking on my original statement, but I liked what they did in season three. I would say I, I enjoyed I was, the yeah the the origin story. If I view it this way, like you're saying, and it's so Ender's Game spoilers, guys. There's a race that they meet where they are have different phases of life, and they kind of become one phase, and then it looks like they're dead, but then they become a tree, and there's this whole other existence that's different from their original existence, and it doesn't even look anything like we wouldn't know of as life, but it's just a, their way of living. They're a whole other species. That, to me, is very, very creative, and it blew my mind when I read that. And I never thought of species that way, as they can be something we would be so unfamiliar with. So that was more of what I got from when they turned the baby into uh, another, a White Walker. Is like That is what they came from, but they are this completely different species at that point. Um, that's like their food. That's their, that's their breeding mechanism, is they need a host, and then they breed. And I guess if I tie that into their true origin story is shown in the show that it, it does make sense. It does connect them a little bit more and it's a little less disappointing to think of it with the fact that they started that way. Now they've become this self-reproducing existence where they <laughs> aren't human at all and they just grow from that. That's their reproduction cycle. <laughs> Thank you, Boba. <laughs> well, well, I knew I know both you guys pretty well, and I know how much you both love Craster, so I thought that would cheer you up. <laughs> true, it's true. <laughs> um, <laughs> Go ahead, I Sue. had a, something else on to that too. Is, is what I what I liked about uh, what they did this year with creating the others from the the uh, children, uh, the fact that they, that it did get away from them is to me it was kind of like similar to thinking about like a biological weapon in our world that, you know, we, we created something and then it got away from us and started this to um, create something that then was a threat to the world. And to me, it seemed like it was kind of a nice analogy to have that then with the dragons being kind of, kind of similar to nuclear weapons. So you've got this biological weapon, this nuclear weapon, things that are powerful, powerful things that can get away from us and then threaten the very existence of mankind. So I liked that kind of analogy, and um, and I really liked it when they did uh, turn the children. I thought that was uh, 
know, really creepy. But then it got me thinking about the others raising these little baby whites and how did they do that? Do they have, you know, little white daycare? Or, you know, <laughs> there are some logistics there that are weird, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that, those are my thoughts. Yeah, excellent. Let me ask you this, Susan, real quick. Um, did you find any traces in the books um, that that made you believe that that the reveal about taking the babies that that was what was happening to them? Because it's been too long since uh, I've read. Just kind of some of the comments of like Crafter's wives about the brothers are coming. You know, some of that. Mm. You know, I, you know, I, I don't know that. You know, it, it just it did seem like there was some sort of connection between Craster making sacrifices and you know the others being involved. I don't know, you know, how it all all works out, but uh, you know that's that's all I can say. And I didn't, and I don't see anything that I, in the books that has made me think that uh, the others were created by children of the forest either. So right. to me, it's all a big mystery. Right on, big reveals, destroying our books. But White Walkers are humans, too. White Walkers are people, too. Uh, let's go on to uh, some characters that we have not seen in the show uh, to date. And we're going to ask whether we will see them in the show or if the fact that they're not in the show diminishes their uh, roles in at least very least the end game of the books. We're going to start out with one of the ones that I know that book fans have been clamoring for to be in the show. And now it just seems... Too late to me, uh, and Bubba, I know that you share this sentiment with me, but let's talk about Lady Stoneheart. Is there any chance that she could come in? Is there any reason for her to come in as far as a television show goes in? Stephanie brought up an excellent point in our doc here that they've kind of get shifted the, the Stoneheart role, like Arya, who's killing phrase and all of this. Um, what do you think about the whole Lady Stoneheart situation? Sorry, Matt. Is this to me? Yes. Okay. Well, I'll just say it. I have always feared that the reason why the show didn't include Lady Stoneheart is that Jamie and Brienne are just going to kill her and get away. And that, as terrible as this sounds, to me, if that happens in the books, I'm going to wonder, yeah, what was the point, too? Now, people say, oh, Lady Stoneheart may do this. She's showing us, oh, how, you know, focused on just revenge is, just, you know, wrong and all this stuff. But to me, you've got to have some effect on the plot. And if, if for example, you know, there's some trial by combat and Brienne defends Jamie and Brienne, you know, wins and or kills Lady Stoneheart and the two of them get away, I'm going to be sitting there going, what was the point of it? which is terrible because it implies that I need Jamie or Brienne to die or maybe both of them to die in this coming, uh, you know, kind of confrontation with the Brotherhood and Lady Stoneheart. But to me, it never made sense why they wouldn't include her because I, I, like a lot of readers, have found her so fun. And now I'm just verbalizing my fears that maybe – the show is telling us something about the books as to, well, something along the lines of, well, this doesn't really, once again, affect the M game in any substantial way. 
I'm going on my little uh, fearful rant. If anybody uh, believes we're going to see Lady Stoneheart speak now or forever, you know, forever hold your fingers into your throat so you can make some gargling noises. <laughs> or, or you can just tweet Bubba at Fit and Trim. That's F I T T E N T R I M. Um, let's go to you, uh, Susan. What, what do you think about this? Uh, I, I don't think we're going to see her in the show. And I think that Bubba brings up some really good points. I, again, it's one of these things where I just don't know because, you know, part of me wants to see her involved with the. Uh, brotherhood in uh, enacting revenge on the phrase in some sort of a you know red wedding 2.0 at the the twins that a lot of people think is going to happen. Um, but of course we have Jamie and Julianne that have disappeared into her lair. So you know can those two things both happen? I don't know. Understood. Stephanie, uh, you brought up the point about Aria. They're kind of giving these uh, killing phrase role to, to her. Um, right. And, and you, you, you're thinking, is this in line with you thinking that uh, we're going to get uh, the Brotherhood Without Banners um, in in the uh, wedding ceremony, a kind of re- do, uh, a revenge red wedding, so to speak? Well, I think so. And I think like you brought up, this, they're about three seasons too late to actually bring in Lady Stoneheart. So then they said, okay, well, we'll give, you know, Arya's been training as this faceless man, supposedly. So, you know, we'll give her the task of killing the phrase, kind of getting revenge. Um, and then, you know, the Brotherhood, we see the Hound join them. So I feel like there's a storyline there, um, at least in the show. Uh, but, you know, I just want to say that I... I want I wanted to see Lady Stoneheart just because of all the artwork I've seen online from the fandom. She looks really cool, really scary, really creepy. I just kind of wanted to see that like on screen. Obviously, that's not going to happen, but I, I think it would be cool to see like Catelyn Stark as a zombie lady with her face clawed off and stuff. As morbid as that is. <laughs> <laughs> I just wonder if it wasn't because Michelle Fairley wasn't available uh, anymore, and that's why they didn't want to do it uh-huh. uh, myself. But, uh, Kelly, you get the last word on this one. <laughs> I, yeah, I agree. I feel like it was written in the – with Stephanie, I agree with I feel like it was written for TV. Like, this is just so visual and sick and twisted, and it would be perfect to have in this show. And I, I don't know if the, the character, the actor thing, would be enough of a roadblock for them if they – have replaced several key characters several times. <laughs> uh, you know, that's, a good that's point. my only... And with, the, with the kind of prosthetics you would need, maybe not, maybe so. Right, exactly. So, I don't know. I wonder if it was just, they didn't, they're consolidating too far. I feel like that would have been perfect for the show. I don't have a good reason why they wouldn't have included her. Unless, like Bubba says, she doesn't have a purpose, which I am mm-hmm. optimistic, and I say that she's one of the Stannis type who is productively moving people to be in the right place for when the big show comes. So that's yeah. my hope. <laughs> she's a minor hope. mover. <laughs> yeah. So uh, instead of Lady Stoneheart, we're just going to continue to get a Beric Dondarrion, I guess, is more or less the way it's going to roll out. Any yeah, other thoughts on Lady Stoneheart? Any other thoughts on Lady Stoneheart before we go on? 
<laughs> I'll take the silence as uh, a no. Let's move on to another character who uh, many of us got fascinated with in Feast for Crows, uh, and then who we didn't really know much about after that, uh, Marwin, um, who uh, last seen, I guess, johnning onto a boat uh, headed for Essos. Um, is there any need or any chance that we would see Marwin in the show? Do we need to see him, and is his role in the books in game significant or insignificant because if the show chooses not to go that route. Um, what do you think, Kelly? So his, his significance might change between the book and the show because it seems like if he's going to show up in the show, he'll be at Old Town because there's no reason for him to go to Marine at this point. Um, unless he does the old Barristan pulls his mask off and he's been with Danny the whole time. Um, they give <laughs> that reveal to him. Something like that, I guess, could, I don't know, or he could meet her when she lands. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So my only thought is, like, and in the books, it seems like he'd be the perfect character to teach Danny how to control dragons, um, to decipher um, kites is how I've always said it, but on our last episode, I noticed everybody else said it differently. <laughs> Kaith? How do you guys say her name? Quaith? Quaith. Quaith, okay. <laughs> to decipher Quaith's brain teasers? No, I agree. That sounds better. <laughs> so those are the two things that I'm going to have to see a new character fill that role of if they're not going to have a Morrowind. Uh, well, yeah. to that end, has has Kaith, Kaith, Quaith, has she outlived her usefulness on the show? Is there any need for her there? Which is weird, right? Because they've casted her, so like use her. But yeah, it does seem like they haven't mentioned her in a while. <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, how about uh, how about you, Stephanie? What do you think about uh, Marwin? Any need for him? Was now Marwin was the one that Miri Mazdor mentioned, at least in the books, that she learned from him. Correct. Yeah, it's like a little Easter egg that she learned. From okay. Him. Yeah. I don't know if she said that in the show. Because she, if she didn't, didn't. She didn't. She didn't. I don't think. Okay, then I, I guess there wouldn't be any need. People would just. I, I like Kelly's idea that he could help Danny and, you know, decipher the prophecies and train the dragons and stuff. But I think it's just adding another character that we probably just don't need at this point, with only thirteen episodes left. <laughs> Right. And and do you do you feel that though some of those things that Kelly brought up that he could do in the books? I mean, yes. do you think that he'll reach Danny in the books? I, I, I hope so. Um I like the magical aspect and he seems a little a little quirky and I like those kind of characters. So I, I hope he would have a purpose, but you know, we've been talking a lot about end game purposes and who yeah. knows? <laughs> yeah. Bubba, I'm more scared of Marwin than than I like him. What what are your feelings on Marwin? Well, this is one where I'm going to kind of try to split the difference and say that I think Marwin could have an endgame purpose, but because even in the books he said has such a minor presence, I don't know why you wouldn't give that to another character. I don't know why if Marwin has some knowledge, you couldn't just give that knowledge to Sam just happens to pick the right book in old town. And, Oh, here's this thing I need to know. Very that, good. That's my own thought. 
Yeah, my thought on that was that Marwin would be like the perfect Hermione of the story. Like he just knows things because you read it in a book. You know, you can just assume oh. he knows it next one, <laughs> right? But I guess Sam would fill that purpose after some time at the um, at the academy at the Citadel. <laughs> but but yeah. Matt, my cast name Hermione. So oh. <laughs> Matt, I think this goes to an even bigger question. They didn't get Sam on the road. You know, they could have had Sam spend all of season six in Old Town. If they had really followed the book, he would have left a lot earlier, arrived in Old Town at the end of season five and spent season six in Old Town. And so we really could have spent some a good amount of time there. But now with the showrunners saying there are only 15 episodes left, what is Old Town really going to mean in when all is said and done in the show? Probably not much either. Right. Sam's there by himself right now, and so, uh, sorry, and Gilly and baby Sam, but, uh, you know, what, what What can Old Town really provide to the show's end game? And so, once again, you're questioning, well, what was the point of even going? Why Why was it so important? You know, we need to, we need to see, and it, it could just be to re- learn one single fact in one single book, and then be like, okay, we learned it next. Wow, <laughs> and that would be that would be the show's way of doing it, right? The shortcut. So, and that's why I think a Marwin at the Citadel would be to kind of fix that, where they have one character who's already ready to hear everything Sam has to say and absorbs it, believes it, and says, "I read this in a book. Let me take you there." And goes to the one book that they need with the one fact in it that they need. <laughs> oh, glass candles are burning, guys. Glass candles are burning. Susan, what does it mean? <laughs> Well, I don't think that if Marwin is not in the show or is not at all important in the show, that that doesn't mean he won't be important in the books. Um, I really think mostly for most of these characters that I won't make that analogy between the two different mediums at this point, but um, I don't think he's going to appear in the show. The only reason I think that he would appear at all is, is kind of like what you all said, if he's there to be some sort of support to Sam in his old town scenes, um, as far as in the books, I do think that he is going to reach Danny. And in terms of what you all said about maybe educating her about dragons, he could also be uh, the first person to tell her about the others because he knows about those as well. And um, and as far as the the Quaith role, I also the only reason I could see him her coming up at all. The show again is that he has anything to do with Jorah and his grayscale. Yeah. yeah, that was a thought too. That I was thinking Marwin, but Quaith is a better thought for for meeting Jorah. That's a good catch, and that brings him back into the story if he knows where where or he knows how to figure out where Danny went and can lead this wise person to whether it's Quaith or Marwin, he could lead them to her once he's healed which will happen, I believe. Can I say that that what's interesting is both of those characters, Quaith and Marwin, I mean, you know, we're talking about their roles in in the show, which, you know, Marwin doesn't exist, Quaith, you know, just in the second season. But both of those characters, they're really not in these books much at all. I mean, come on, they are... They are There's so many characters. minor, minor characters in the book. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, 
Yeah. Ay, 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 ay. We've got Terrell brothers who uh, are, are more involved <laughs> than freaking these people. Yeah, I, the only thing is is that it, it just seems like it, it came across to me reading reading both of those characters that they're much more economically impactful than a lot of the other side characters. And that's why I think I expect more out of them in the books um, than than what we would ever get in a television show. Yeah, their usefulness would be greater than even that of a Lady Stoneheart, which I could understand them leaving her out because, like, Arya could fill that role. But, like, you don't have many characters that will know everything that these characters could believably know. Yeah, very good. All right, well, why don't we move on to another character who, to me, is not likely to be on the, on the show, but uh, we're talking about uh, Aegon, or Fagon, depending on your point of view. Um, we know that Varys, having firmly backed Daenerys, and seems to have been in the backing of either Viserys or Daenerys the whole time, um, definitely seems to point to the fact that there's no need for an Aegon, at least from what we know in the books. Um, Bubba, though, you said that this might tell us something about what's going to happen to Varys, right? Well, this is... Let me explain for everybody my thought process in this, and I mentioned it briefly in one of our previous podcasts, is that since Varys, in the books, Varys is totally on team Aegon, and he's not really on Team Daenerys. If she marries Fagon, great, but he's not on her side at all. So that really makes me think that book a, a book, excuse me, varies has to die. Why? Because he's fighting the woman in, in a lot of ways. He's against the woman with dragons. And if there's going to be in the book the dr- Dance with Dragons 2.0, then you would assume varies is on one side, and you assume he'd have to get it. But because show varies has been uh, is now been presented as totally on Team Daenerys. I'm like, well, is he? Could he possibly live in the show, but not in the books? Which is, in some ways, what I think is going going to happen with Dario. Dario seemingly is going to live in the show, enjoying his uh, hot summer nights in Marine. Where in the books, because of certain visions, I believe Dario is going to die. And so, I guess I'm just kind of lost in this, in that. Does this indicate what does this indicate for what does the show indicate for the book? The varies could maybe switch sides easily. I, I don't know. I, I, I think that's just my whole thought process. Mm-hmm. I, I don't see how the two characters really kind of, to be honest, I, I, I'm not a fan of the Fagon plot in the book. I thought, oh, great, just another quote unquote obstacle before we get to the real menace. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so, and so, I, you know, I, I'm just kind of the two characters in the book and show of Varys or the two kind of end goals make me hard to see how they can both end up in the same place. Uh, sorry, I rambled yeah. so much, but, but that's no, in my head. Like the Sansa character, they've just diverged so far from their storyline in the book that you're like, this is a different character at this point, so the plots aren't going to end the same for these characters. Mm, oh, well, well I, I, the, just to be completely honest, I kind of disagree with that sentiment in that Okay. Yes, show Sansa did uh, suddenly take on the fake Arya role, but I could easily see book Sansa ending up up north, let's okay. say. And I could easily see the Knights of the Vale being part of the forces <laughs> that help 
pre-Winterfell from, from uh, the Bolton oppression. I could see oh. how that could work. I just have a, and maybe people don't. I, I could see how that could happen. I don't see so how. Ignore it. Okay, so ignore my comparison. <laughs> so, no, yeah, no, the Varys character. I'm just saying the Varys character has, has veered so far from his his book character that he's not even the same character anymore with the same end well, his game. Goal. Yeah, his goal is yeah. for sure. Okay, so, okay. I, I don't know. I, I I've never thought anything, you know, not only did I dislike the Sagan story, but I, I also thought it, the logical conclusion is that Danny's going to have to take out the Mummer's Dragon. Bye-bye, Sagan. I don't know. Anybody agree or disagree? I definitely uh, agree, Bubba. <laughs> Stephanie agrees, Susan? Uh, I, I don't definitely agree with anything that that Bubba's saying about it, but uh, I mean, I do think that it, I kind of I already said this before, but to, to encapsulate that, I think that Aegon is going to play a role, that he's, he's there to usurp Danny's uh, coming in as the, you know, conquering hero. Uh, he's going to be there to uh, uh, probably get to King's Landing and defeat the Lannisters first and um, be uh, Potentially uh, supported by the faith and take this role that Danny's going to then have to come in and do the second dance of the dragons that George has hinted at with him, and it'll put her into a adversarial role, maybe uh, perceived in a negative role by the people in Westeros uh, because of of this happening. Um, and again, here's something where I would recommend. People reading the series of essays by Brendan B. Fish called, uh, he's got two of them. One is Blood of the Conqueror, which is all about the uh, Aegon and his uh, uh, comrades. And the other one is The Dragon's Mercy about Danny. And I think he's got some really good takes on, on how some of this is going to be take place in these last two books. Very interesting. Uh, did we hear from everybody on that? Kelly, You heard. we heard from you on that. A little um, bit. My, my my pipe dream finale is always that Danny and Fagon join forces, save everyone from the White Walkers, and then Danny goes back to Essos and lets Fagon rule Westeros. <laughs> I want Danny to rule in Essos. That's my my dream finale because she, you know, and I feel like they're both really good rulers. So that's all book though. That, I mean, for a comparison with the show, I feel like they've just consolidated into Danny and they've used the Varys character as this is what he's always been gold oriented for, and just kind of wiped out anything with. Aegon and young Griff and, and old Griff and John Connington and all that. Yeah. Well, speaking of John Connington, I mean, obviously they've given the Greystale to Jorah instead of John Connington. Um, so there's probably no chance of seeing him. But, Bubba, again, you had another point that you wanted to make about John Connington in, in terms of role in the books. Well, in the book, it feels like, and I know uh, we've already mentioned that it felt like, oh, isn't Shireen in her grayscale? Could that somehow affect uh, insects, excuse me, people up at the wall? It has definitely felt to me like you can't have uh, John Connington down in the south and have grayscale and not, you know, be pretty much a hot zone and cause people to catch it. Uh, if this is important, then theoretically, uh, maybe this is, you know, once again, if Jorah is really going to fill that role in addition to whatever role he actually fills in the book, uh, you know, how do you do it? 
can Jora somehow get to Westeros and infect the people that Connington was going to, and yet once again still do whatever you would call uh, Jora's uh, role at the top? I don't know. I I, I don't think Jora's going to infect a lot of people. That would definitely make us hate him and wish hope he kills him. You know, the show Jora, you'd be like, well, you need to kill yourself. You need to burn yourself. You can't you know, give other people this terrible disease, but once again, I, I don't see Connington living, you know, too much longer. And, uh, you know, I would say respectfully to, uh, you know, people are like, oh, you know, like Susan's saying, oh, well, if you read this, you read that, it, it shows some, you know, ways that, that Fagon and Connington and, and this second dance of the dragons could really affect Daenerys' character. Yeah. Uh, let's hope it's entertaining. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I guess I'm just on the total opposite side of that. Somewhere. I don't know. Okay. Uh, any other thoughts about uh, grayscale? Uh, is, is that something we see uh, happening in, in the books becoming? I mean, is this to be like the the Black Plague kind of taken from medieval history uh, that George likes to do is—is is this the way he brings the the Black Plague into everything to make everything darkest before the dawn? Anyone? I've I've never actually thought about that, but I I kind of like it. I never thought about John Connington in the books or Jorah spreading the gray scale, even though I mean it kind of seems fairly obvious because it's so contagious and everybody's so scared of it. But I mean. I wouldn't put it past George to have a plague on top of a war, on top of famine, on top of dragons. So I, I find it an interesting idea. <laughs> <laughs> other thoughts? Yes, I'll concur. I, I agree with what Bubba has to say about the grayscale. I think that it is going to play a role both uh, in the north and south in some way. Um, not sure about Sojora, but... <laughs> yeah, I think it's just a, a show feature of this world to have Jorah catch it and kind of get him away from Danny for a while. I think the book consequences are going to be much die, more dire because it's been foreshadowed with what happened in Old Town and what happened with um, uh, his wife in Essos. Sorry, I totally forgot. The, the cheese monger's wife in Essos. <laughs> Um, it's been foreshadowed a lot, and and then Val's reaction, like horrified at Shireen, like it just has this history. So I think it's it's gonna happen. Maybe it'll affect Aegon's army, and that will be his downfall, and he'll need Danny. But I think the book is gonna be where the Grayscale shows up. I feel like the show it, it took so long for anything to happen to Jorah. They just don't have that kind of time for it to really <laughs> affect people in mass. You know, like he's already, he's still not in Westeros unless he like stowed away on one of those boats. Um, possible, I guess, but. The whole thing that I have with Jorah is he specifically told Danny that he would end things before he would let anything get too far. Um, yeah. He did that right when he said goodbye to her and she ordered him to find a cure. So I'd be more convinced that Jorah might end up in, Wessos, or in Westeros at Old Town seeking Maester's help to try and get that if, if to get cured. Um if anything, if he ends up at Westeros at all, um, at least. And I think that that probably depends on oh, the contract the actor signed. <laughs> to be perfectly yeah. honest, even when out, I mean, he could be in a couple movies. He's in a, he's in a movie that uh, just came out uh, this week, I think. 
Hey, Matt, I want to ask people, I want to ask people going the other way. So the fact that the show gave Jorah grayscale, what do you think that implies for Book Jorah? Does that mean Book Jorah is definitely BOA? Hmm, interesting Where is Book Jorah? (laughs) He's with Tyrion in the second song. Okay. Yeah, he's really having a terrible time. He's got lots of tattoos. He's got tattoos and he's whelps and and everything else. Uh, Yeah. Book Jorah might appreciate Grayscale. He'd be like, yeah, let's end this (laughs) up. Yeah, like, isn't the pale mare running through the camps and everything? So he, you know. (laughs) That would would kill. Armor. Jorah dying would kill uh, a theory I got a while back uh, via email saying that Jorah is a Zora High. I don't know if I ever oh shared boy. that on one of the theory casts or not. Uh, but Aww. yeah, uh, that would kill that one for sure. Um, well, we know but, who his niece Anissa is. Yeah, we definitely know who his niece Anissa is. Maybe he's her niece Anissa. How about that? Oh. Oh, man. He, he would, would love, love that. <laughs> Matt, yeah. I think really, you read my mind. I was, I, we were going to talk about that, and I, it was what I was typing up the email you about when we were going to talk about that. I was like, I don't want Danny to be somebody's niece and niece. That's lame. And I wanted somebody to be her niece and niece. That's awesome. <laughs> Jora would volunteer for that. <laughs> sure. yeah. I want to see Jora end up as the night watch like his father wanted him to. That would be my <laughs> ultimate ending for him. Well, I don't know if it will happen with him being so far away, but now, who knows? Yeah, there you, you think, go. But do you think the show giving him grayscale means that that's not going to happen in the book? Like, it, you, you know, we're talking about the show spoiling the books or influencing book yeah. thoughts. I just Can he actually I do it? I just don't take that the, uh, a lot of what happens in the show for necessarily having any specific spoiling on the books anymore. I just think that I just look at it as two different things at this point in time. Yeah. Oh boy. Uh, yeah. You know, I I, I I I don't think that. I think hold the door. I think the the burning of the shreen have kind of shown in my mind that the show is really gonna is gonna give us a lot of connect a lot of the dots for what we're gonna see in these books. It's possible. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I think that's a good worry to have. <laughs> Very interesting. Anything else on Aegon, Connington, Jorah? Well, well, let's go this far, and this is probably a conversation that you all had while I was gone um, during season five, but does the fact that Barristan is gone in the show, does that mean that he's going to die in this battle in the Winds of Winter? Good Lord. I know. That was so upsetting when I thought that on the show. I think it's likely I don't like it, but I do think it's likely. It does mm-hmm. seem likely in the books he's kind of passing on his knowledge to these younger generation. He is kind of influencing them, and it does seem like it would be noble, and that's how he wanted to die. Like, he didn't want to be discharged. He wanted to die for his, his sworn protective, protectee, you know? So it, it, it works, but it's sad. <laughs> Who isn't even in the city right now? You know, he's not even serving as a Queen's Guard right now. He's just serving as a general. Well, I was going to say, I've, I've kind of had this thought, and I've 
read certain people online who paint it better is it feels like Book Barristan might be a version of Ned 2.0, a soldier getting involved in backstabbing politics that just doesn't, an honorable soldier getting involved in backstabbing politics where he's out of his league. And so, yeah, the the show definitely made me think Barristan, uh, he's not going to need to shave anytime soon. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> Stephanie, what do you think? About Barristan? Yeah. Oh, I I mean, yeah, I think he's a goner. I, I don't want him to be, but, you know, the show is just going on a massacre of all of our characters, and I can't think that George is going to keep them all because he has so many more characters that we don't even see in the show. So, unfortunately, I don't think Barrison's surviving. <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree with what I agree with what Bubba had to say about uh, him, you know, getting in over his head and so forth. And so my question is: Is he going to die in the battle, or is he going to make it back to the city to find out that Shade Tate has gone ahead and massacred all these people? That you know is going to really make him feel bad for what he, the role that he took in all of that. You know, have they massacred the young cupbearers and other? Hostages, the yeah. king, and, and so forth. There, um, or is he going to be the one who comes back to the city and finds that out after he's gotten battle? I think it could be either or. Interesting. Very interesting. Well, why you don't we move go, on? Go with the most tragic answer. Go with the most tragic way. So yeah, <laughs> to go down. We know George. Yeah. <laughs> uh, why don't we move on to House Dane and the only really significance we've seen in House Dane is maybe a mention here or there in a in a Blu-ray history and lore section. Uh, we did meet Sir Arthur Dane, the Sword of the Morning, in the flashback to the Tower of the Hand, but um, there are folks that do like to still theorize that Ashara might still be alive, that she might, in fact, be Septa Lamour, even. Um, and if we don't have the Aegon storyline and we don't have uh, the whole Blackfire Connington thread. Um, I mean, is is she not Septa Lamour? Is she is she in fact dead? Um, or will we even see House Dane at all? Will is it possible um, that because we now have this alliance in the television show between the Sand Snakes and uh, the uh, you know and Daenerys, um, might they start calling their their bannermen to to arms, and and might we see what remains of the Dane family, and do you see the Danes affecting the story in the books at all? I know that's a lot to unpack, um, and why not start with you, Stephanie? Well, let me just go on record as saying I love House Dane. I know we don't see them in the show, but um, the little or the bits that we get about them um, in the books, um, they're from Dorne, if people don't know that. Um, we don't really know much about Dorne except House Martell. Um, but I really love House Dane in the books. Um, I, um, I I want Ashara Dane to be Septa Lamore just because there's so many little clues. Um, but, you know, again, that's another, like, going into Benjen is Dario is Euron territory. Um I, I'm not sure what would the implications be of Ashara still being alive. What do you guys think? 
Good question. How about you, Kelly? What do you think? Unless she's like her only role that I saw was was as Lamar would be the clearest uh, role for her to play at this point. She, I mean, Ned's dead. Uh, we're assuming Barristan's gonna die. Like, I don't know. Guys. <laughs> Those are the only connections I really saw her having. Um, there seems to be too many swords already. They seem to not be able to want to bring. They don't mention uh, that was it. The, um, morning star, star of the morning. The 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 sword, dawn sword of the morning. The great sword. Oh yeah, the the wielder is the sword of the morning, and the sword is called dawn. Yeah, the <laughs> those don't seem to come up very much, and understandably, the show is trying to be simple, so I don't see them appearing in the show for simplification reasons. Um, I I don't see the consequence of them. Sadly, I love them in the book. I agree, Stephanie. Like that little Edric thing is adorable and yes. so sweet. So. But, like, again, the only character that he would possibly interact with would be Arya, and she's way past having conversations with little boys at this point. So, <laughs> sadly, mm-hmm. sadly, I think they're simplifying it down to not using the house Dane. Susan? Uh, yes. Um, as far as Asara being alive... Um, I used to like the idea of her being Septilamore, but I've kind of gone away from that now. Uh, <laughs> I always thought that she might uh, influence uh, Barristan to change from Danny to, to Aegon, uh, but uh, I don't know. I just don't, I don't see that happening now. Uh, in fact, I do think uh, I don't think we're going to see any more of them in the in the show, other than what we already saw with the Tower of Joy. Um, I also think they're a really cool house. And I've heard people talk about the fact that George doing that, uh, you know, wanting to do the five-year jump and then changing that, that that might have had a role in in changing what he did with House Dane. But um, whether we see uh, Eddard or not anymore, we do still have Darkstar. And, uh, (laughs) uh, yeah, so, I mean, possibly the fact that we have Obara and name has slipped my mind who is the uh the uh guard for uh for martel there aria yeah going after dark star so that may be what brings us into house dane in some way and who knows that might involve the sword you know who knows maybe dark star is going to try and steal it or you know i don't know that's that's probably what i see as the biggest role at this point that there's someone that, you know, going to be from the house there. Very good. Very good. Bubba, last word. The Danes will never be on the show. Let's just give up that toast. I think one <laughs> of the reasons why people like the idea of Ashara Dane being around is once again, she can tell us and fill in a lot of the exposition, the missing pieces, if you will, of the L plus R. R plus L equals J theory. Like her being alive, she could fill in a lot of this stuff. She could answer some of those tournament Aaron Hall questions. And so I would love for her to be acceptable more or for her to be alive or come into the story some way that. But it's mainly really kind of filling in, once again, connecting dots. Her character in the book I think could be great at where that's not needed in the show and in a lot of ways so many of the dots about R plus L equal J have already been filled in. So, 
Well, that Sorry, actually speaks uh, to the one. Oh, that's good. That actually speaks to the one question about R plus L equals J, that probably for end game purposes seems most important, and that is, you know, regardless if John is the song of ice and fire, so to speak, you know, being Rhaegar and Lyanna's son, um, that doesn't really strengthen his claim to the throne any more than Gendry's, who is merely a bastard. Do we need? Um, more allusions to a marriage between Rhaegar and Lyanna um, and, and to dispel the show has very much portrayed the whole kidnapping thing. They haven't brought to light anything else um, that would really show love other than maybe Littlefinger's talk about uh, to Sansa. Um, you might find shades of it in there um, and you may find shades of it in the Tower of Joy vision that Bran had where um, you know, Liana was basically, from what we can gather, whispering to Ned, you know, you have to protect John uh, because Robert will kill him. Um, but there, there doesn't, there's still this missing piece as to whether Rhaegar and Liana, because Liana did cry when uh, Rhaegar sang his sad song uh, before the tourney at Heron Hall. So, uh, I mean, did Le- did Liana in fact love Rhaegar? Was there a marriage? This would all point a lot to John's legitimacy to a claim to the throne. And does that make Ashara Dane more important in the books for the reasons you stated, uh, Bubba, to throw those, to throw, to fill in more of this of that story so that we know where John stands in relation to that? And do we even care where John stands in relation to that? <laughs> it seems apparent to me that either John or Daenerys has to die. Uh, as far as the end game goes, um, that's just the way that I see it personally. What do you think about that, Bubba? Yep, I you took the words out of my mouth, Matt. I don't forgive you for that. I just <laughs> think I, I just think you know, John. If if you know you get mixed messages from Martin, if you know, quote unquote. Uh, the the right to the throne, you know, these things are important. You do need that filled out in the books about him being, you know, not being a bastard, being legitimate. It also could be great for his character to find out, hey, all my life I've been called a bastard. I'm not a bastard. Uh, could the show just do a real quick brand vision on this? Could the wet nurse who was there explain any of that? They could both probably accomplish the same. Yeah, or like a more useful character that could connect those dots that would be related to characters we've met and have grown attached to would be Helen Reed, right? Oh, yeah. So his, we've also his not appearance. seen it in the show. Yeah. Right, so I think his appearance would fill the role of Ashara, but give him more connection to things that have already been established in the show. Maybe. <laughs> With fewer questions, perhaps. Um and yeah, I don't know if we're if we're going from the show to the book and seeing that there are implications that direction, then maybe even seeing John step down from being Lord Commander might kind of imply that he doesn't want leadership anymore. But then I just talked myself out of that when I realized that he did kind of accept King of the North like immediately after. <laughs> right. Uh, right. Well, I don't know. <laughs> he was kind of thrust into that, I guess. So maybe that's not his his wish is not to rule. So maybe he doesn't have to die, or Danny doesn't have to die. Oh yeah, one of maybe. them's got to die. Bitter, bittersweet, bittersweet, bittersweet. Yeah, I all agree. bitter. 
Go ahead, Susan. I, I, I agree with you, Matt. That's really all I have to say. I agree with what you have to say about that. And oh, Susan, yeah. I have. Papa was saying about, uh, you know, that we need some of that information about what happened, uh, you know, with Taryn Hall and, and John's legitimacy and all that. But, you know, we'll just see. I don't have anything yeah. to add other than I agree with what you all said. Very good. Stephanie, <laughs> last word. Um, I don't have anything to add about that, but can we talk about Howland Reed? <laughs> sure, go ahead. Um, I know we've all been waiting to see him in the book. Um, we saw, finally saw him on the show. I was very happy because I've always liked the Reeds. Um, and Howland does, he's the only one that's left alive that knows what happened at the Tower of Joy. And I was just, um, do you think we'll get him in the book? I think George has said that we'll meet him. But I was just wondering um, what everyone else thinks because I think his implications of what he can tell and the stories he can tell us are huge compared to some other characters. So I think it would be a real um, letdown if we didn't meet him or at least get something from him in the books. Hmm. Yeah, I think I think if the North unites under John, like in the show, I'm thinking, if, if the North is united under John right now, then I think the first step he does is he goes and finds his father's best friend and who's holding the neck, and that's really important. And I could see the show going right to Helen Reed and getting the, the meeting. And, you know, if John comes to him, then he's in, you know, Holland is in his home safe and he can tell him this secret. And there you go. Like, that. Is that another theory that we've killed that uh, Howland Reed is the high school? <laughs> well, <won't>, yeah. <laughs> yes. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but they, possibly, both have, possibly not. they both have naughty hair. Uh. <laughs> both have naughty hair and I, I love the way that the show originally and now we know uh, the show decided to to say that we we focused on his bare feet on a couple of those shots early on in season 5 simply because he was a cobbler right a shoe mm, cobbler yeah. but, but, uh, but uh, for a minute there I think Hal and Reed is the High Sparrow fans were, were thinking oh, oh the show's telling oh. us the show's telling us <laughs> Hype, yeah, hype was that's large. Mira, that's why Mira and John's <laughs> twin, too, right? <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, it's, it's all still possible, guys. Come on. Susan, I lied to you earlier. Balan Swan is the one who went with um, Obara. It's not Arya. Sorry. No, they I both went. Arya, Hota, Balan, and Obara are, okay. quote-unquote, looking for Dark Star. I was just right. picturing the the torrents of emails Matt was about to get with corrections and everyone calling, you know, calling well, the Ravens. That's a good point. <laughs> you added it. is going to. You're right. But I think that we're going to get uh, from uh, Ario is going to be our point of view character there to show us yeah. what happens. Okay. Quick, wanted to say that before I forgot. Sorry. Back to your normally scheduled. Well, our normally scheduled <laughs> program actually turns to you, Kelly. You want to lead us through... Uh, the rest of House Martell that we have not met? This was just kind of tying into, yeah, previously we were talking about the um, the lack of uh, Quentin before. So the lack of Quentin now, I'm guessing after we kind of talk that through, that it fits more in with the folding out or consolidation of the storylines in the show. This, there is no Aryan Martell. There's no Quentin Martell. And I think they had to drop those in order to drop the Fagon the storyline. 
And that makes a lot of sense to me now that we've talked that out. Um, like, Arian was all bitter and mad, and Quentin was supposed to marry Danny, and all of that was dropped because they didn't have Fagon to tie it all together to say, well, Arian, you weren't going to lose your, you know, seed. You were going to get a much better one and, and stuff like that. So they're, they're, Yeah, they're and I feel like initially, sense. Kelly, I actually mm-hmm. feel like initially they, they just put uh, Alaria in substitute for Ariane, at least in terms of the, the kind of rebelling against Doran part, right? Yeah, definitely. She was a face we knew and a, a character and an actress that was already on set, so it made sense to give her all of that, that plot devices. And I, whether or not they decided beforehand to drop all the Fagon stuff, they, they definitely used her when they decided to. Yeah, absolutely. But go ahead. My, my only question is what you guys think about, uh, like, where does this leave Dorne at this point? Are they just kind of under the sand snakes control? Is it Queen Illyria? <laughs> What's, uh, who said those boats? I think the Queen of Thorns said something at some point about who she's dealing with in Dorne. But I can't remember it as well as you guys do about the show stuff. Does anyone remember that? No. Well, the Queen of Thorns was brought there by Alaria to meet Varys. Okay, so that, that's who's now yeah. in charge, and that's who's dealing with everything. Okay, then yeah, then uh, that's, that's, that she was she was talking to Alaria when she told the rest of the Sand Snakes to let the grown ups speak. I believe. That's <laughs> <laughs> oh, so I'm you, assuming that Alaria is in charge at the moment, um, if anybody. So how much do you guys think that that changes any of the plot of? what we are seeing there, is it just kind of embodying more of the women, Doran, Strong thing, or is it more chaotic and ready to be filled with a Danny leader? Anyone have well, on it? well uh, if I could jump in on this, I think that what you would take from it in that House Martell on the show is pretty much kind of all beaten down, and is that once again kind of spoiling the books, but if you see House Martell joining with Fagon and you believe Fagon's where, you know, is aimed for doom, doesn't that kind of mean that House Martell was kind of aiming aimed for doom itself? Books, yeah. So, you know, like sure. if if mm-hmm. there was if there was Fagon and if you believe the Mummer's Dragon is gonna go down and uh certainly the preview chapters imply that House Martell's gonna be uh riding Fagon pretty good then, you know, the kind of the writing's on the wall. The writing was already on the wall for uh, for Doran Martell and for Ariel Hota. And so, you know, they got it a bit early in the books where in the show, it, sorry, they got a bit early in the show where in the books, you know, they may survive till the end of, you know, the end of the winds of winter, or maybe the beginning of Dancing Dragons, but teaming with Fagon in the books means their days were numbered either way. Susan. Uh, yes. Um, you know, I really am more of a fan of the show than I think I'm coming across here because I'm keeping saying, well, I'm not, I don't like how they did this in the show. I don't like how they did that <laughs> in the show. And I certainly don't like how they handled House Martell in the show. And I think that that's a, a fairly universal feeling. Um, so, you know, I, I just, the whole thing in the show, I think, has been ridiculous. So many of the of the things that they did with them, in terms of the fact that the sand snakes would now be ruling, and uh, that that would just be accepted, and they'd be able to kill off, uh, you know, the 
Tristan and uh, Doran, uh, as they did, I just think that it's, I just don't like the way it was handled at all. I do agree, Bubba, with, you know, in a sense of what you're saying, that, you know, I see them aligned with uh, Aegon and that that is going to be eventually spelling doom for House Martell in a lot of ways. Um, but I also think that they are going to have more of an impact before that happens. I think that there's going to be things that the Sand Snakes who are being sent to King's Landing are going to do there that uh, are going to have an impact on the story. I think that you know there's going to be an impact on on uh, you know bringing down the Lannisters and uh, and other things that will occur before they're doomed. So they're going to have an impact, but then they will not. They, then they will probably get the. Uh, Massacred. <laughs> wait, wait. Could I jump in on this, Susan? Susan, you think that uh, I, some of the sand snakes who are going to King's Landing are going to have something to do with the downfall? Did you say the downfall of the Lannister? Or what yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, think, I think that you know, I I, I do think that it, the way that they handled it in the show, in terms of the sand snakes being willing to kill their uncle the ruler of uh, Dorn, I, I just, that to me didn't resonate. But them, even though they promised uh, Dorn in the uh, books that they were going to follow him and you know be part of his plan, the fact that we have one of them going to be on the small council and another one going to the faith, you know, may put them in situations where they're going to have an opportunity to perhaps uh, get uh, revenge on some Lannisters like they wanted to. Well, the one th- what I would say to that is this, this guy, I, have, I apologize to whoever this writer was who pointed these things out, and that is in Ariel Hota's, one of his chapters in A Feast for Crows, a sand snake is talking to Doran, and as soon as she leaves Doran, Ariel Hotar runs to Doran and starts checking him for scratches because Ariel was afraid she, this sand snake might have tried to poison and kill Doran. And similarly, in, in this same chapter, uh, Doran, uh, sorry, Ariel keeps thinking about, boy, Obara, she's kind of, uh, she's kind of uh, hard to handle. Like he's thinking, boy, she might be tricky. And, and this guy pointed out that the books, as Martin loves to do, has some paragraphs you can read where it even implies that on this journey of Balin Swan, Ariel Hota, and Obara after uh, after uh, Darkstar, there's certainly enough hints that make you see that Obara could join with Darkstar and kill Obara, just like the Sand Snakes killed, excuse me, Obara could kill Ariel, just like the Sand Snakes killed Ariel in the show. So, it, it, the show didn't present it especially uh, smoothly, but there are hints in the book that there is a chance the Sand Snakes could kill Doran and Aria Hota. Uh, possibly Aria. I, I, just, I don't see it happening to Doran, but maybe I'm wrong. Well, we'll find I out do, in 25 I, years. I, so, yeah, right. I, I, mean, I do think <laughs> the ones that the Sand Snakes are going to the capital are going to they're going to uh, be playing out some of their actions there. And I think that there's going to be results from them going to be, you know, part of the faith and part of the small council. 
Uh, Stephanie, your thoughts on anything House Martell in, in relation to any of these subjects? Anything come to mind? I'm a little divided on everything, but one thing I, I did not like the way they portrayed it in the show. I think that, like Susan said, that was pretty universal. Um, but I do like the idea that Kelly brought up that they're kind of combining all the characters and kind of showing, like, yay, women in Dorn, like, um, Alaria and the Sand Snakes are taking over kind of like, not Ariane is taking over in the books, but she has a bigger role to play and they let women have a bigger role in Dorn. So I, I like the way that Kelly brought that up. Um, I don't think that the Sand Snakes are going to have anything to do with the Lannisters. I don't think they're that important. I, um, the whole Sand Snakes, Dorn thing, especially in the show, just kind of it really turns me off. Um, I, I hate to sound like, like Susan said that I don't like the show. I love the show, but just their whole, the way they handle that. I just, I wasn't really a fan. So. Understood. Do we, uh, Kelly, you want to move on to your mm-hmm. other uh, missing characters that we're never going to see because Brienne uh, <laughs> uh, took a different path? I know everyone's grateful that Brand's walkabout was cut out of the show and consolidated into a much more efficient path that she took, which is very creative because it was not at all taken from the book. She went all over the place. She didn't go in the book. Um, But because of that, we didn't get a lot of characters like Kyle Hunt, who seemed to kind of tie her into a lot of more humane side. I don't know if we'll ever get that backstory from her. Well, I guess we did get the backstory from her just from her telling Pod. So I guess some of the characters were not missed, but a character we did miss, did you guys consider Soringen as uh, Maribold? Did you guys make that, or do you think this was a completely different Septon that uh, we saw? Not the, uh, I don't know the actor's name, I'm sorry. I only know Ms. Soringen from, uh, from Deadwood, um, the guy who played the, act, the actor who played the... Right, Ian McShane. <sighs> Emiche, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did you guys consider him to be Marable? Like, Brian never met him, but he kind of played the same. Um, I thought I took him to be finding the, hound. the elder brother. Okay. I took it, yeah, because the elder brother was the one who healed uh, Sandor. And so I kind of took him in that role rather than the Marable. Oh, good. Yeah. I know some people have seen him as kind of a combination of the two, but it did seem to me that they kind of dropped Marable totally. Because oh, that dropped the most tragic loss of a character that we're not going to get, which, in my opinion, was Dog. Yeah. I loved Dog. <laughs> I loved Dog so much. He was the best. He has his own a Wiki of Ice and Fire page. Just search Dog, and he shows up. Oh, my God. He's so adorable. And uh, if you haven't read the book, what are you doing listening to this? But also, um, <laughs> read about Dog. He's adorable. That's my, that's my, I wanted to put that in. That's my status difference from the book and the show. <laughs> right on. Anybody miss dog as much as Kelly does? Stephanie? No, not possible. No, I think I'll let Kelly have that one. Oh, <laughs> Kelly, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for indulging, but dog. <laughs> Susan, uh, you pointed out that you felt like he was more the, the, the uh, Swearinger character was uh, more, uh, Ian McShay was more uh, the, the elder um, and yeah. it did did result in the confirmation of, of course, that the Hound uh, is something we we've all kind of assumed in the books. But it did kind of confirm that. That thought that was kind of cool. Right, right. And he also 
played the role of somebody who had been a, a, a warrior or soldier in the past who had, uh, you know, gone away from that life and, and taken up the uh, religious life, which I guess you could say is also possible with Stephen Maribald as well, but um, was definitely something with the older brother. Yeah, I think that was kind of where he became an amalgamation between the elder brother and Maribald. He kind of gave both those sides of it. Um, do you guys, this will lead us into one of the more complicated ones later, but that does kind of bring up the possibility for more likely Clegable in the, mm, <laughs> in the yes. future. Well, why don't we go ahead and talk about that? Uh, Bubba, I'm sure that you would least like to talk about Brienne's walkabout, if I recall our Feast Dance tandem read. <laughs> but... Uh, what about the the idea, the prospect of Clegainebowl being re- resurrected? Not in maybe a trial of seven, like uh, or, 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 or in, a, in a faith trial for Cersei, in in the way that uh, uh, we uh, maybe have been theorizing for about, or maybe so. Uh, it's still a possibility in the books, but uh, because we haven't had a trial yet in the books. But what, what do you think about the possibility of a Clegainebowl? Is it now imminent? in the books or in the show? I don't think it could be what you would call imminent in the books, mainly because Martin hasn't come out and officially confirmed that the Hound is still alive. And if you watch the Mm. Hound's scenes in in the show, the Hound isn't with any characters who are quote-unquote POV. So, uh, you know, uh, when could this Hound, if he's there on the quiet aisle, how could the Hound get into somebody's POV where they're like, hey, he's still alive. Hey, he's here. So if there's going to be a cool game ball, it, it would have to be very deep into the winds of winter or save for a dream of spring. I, the one thing I'd say about the cool game ball that the show did was I actually kind of thought it was, and I admit that this is definitely going to go down different in the book, but I, I thought it was smart how they had Tom and outlaw, outlaw trial by combat. It's kind of like, you know, since we've already uh, spoiled Ender's Game, let's spoil a bit of the Harry Potter books. You know, <laughs> J.K. Rowling got a bit sick of Quidditch, so she had to keep coming up with different ways to kind of get Quidditch out of the book. Like, oh, no, Harry's prevented from playing, and oh, they've canceled Quidditch because of this threat or that. So therefore, she didn't have to keep going back to it. And I think Martin, because he, he had done enough trial by combat and seeds of the book, I wouldn't be surprised if he had something <laughs> similarly planned to be like, uh, to prevent uh, Frank and Gregor or uh, Robert Strong, if you prefer his book name, uh, to, to not be the easy out that he would seemingly be. So I, I like that the show did that. And I, I could see this new book having a similar type uh, outlawing of trial by combat happen. Interesting. Uh, Stephanie, yeah. what do you think? The clicking bowl has never been appealing to me. Um, at least in the books, because, you know, we know the hound, or supposedly the hound, you know, he's on the quiet aisle, he's kind of reformed, he's quiet, and... He needs needs dog there. (laughs) Huh? He needs dog there. (laughs) Yes, he needs dog there. But um, it just always seemed counterproductive to the hound's story. He finally found peace, he finally... I I don't want to say he was happy, but, you know... For him to go back down to King's Landing or wherever to, like, kill his brother, it just always seemed so counterproductive and so almost, 
almost redundant. It was just like, ugh, I don't want that to happen, mainly for the hound's sake. Um, and now that the trial by combat has been outlawed in the show, I don't really see the hound going back to King's Landing in the show either. Um, I I hope he's, you know, traveling maybe north to help, you know, John and Arya, and maybe he'll meet back up with her. I think that would be pretty cool, but the Clegane Bowl has never appealed to me, and I, I, I can't see why people want that. <laughs> Understood. Understood. <laughs> Susan, what do you think? Um, I, I I agree with that. You know, I have mixed feelings about whether I want to see the hound just stay on the quiet aisle or have another role in the in the books in, in any other way. But um, I'm not. I I wouldn't mind not seeing the Clegane Bowl. Interesting. Nobody wants blood and guts like I do. Nobody wants to. Uh, nobody wants a hound to get his sweet revenge for getting his face put in a fire and causing all the trouble that it's caused. Oh, I I want the game bowl. I want it bad. I want it bad. How about how about you, Kelly? Yeah, I agree with Stephanie. It would feel like um a regression for the character to kind of go back to his fighting ways. Um, but I could totally see him having a conversation with the elder brother and saying the only way you can put your demons to rest and be truly at peace is if you do this thing. And so he goes out and <laughs> maybe it's not even like a trial by combat. Maybe he just hunts him down and kills his brother and or somehow word gets to the quiet aisle that this is the monster is, is out. And, you know, maybe even out of mercy, he puts his brother um, out of his misery. You know, there's a lot of ways that I think that it could go down that's not quite as epic as like a clogging bowl. But (laughs) (laughs) even if, you know, whatever his his reasoning for it, maybe the elder brother is getting him ready to to do this out of mercy rather than out of vengeance for his brother. And once he he feels like he can do it that way, he'll release him into the wild and the hound will go back to to fight Mm -hmm. and his brother somehow but other than that other than like those things are quite clear if those things aren't quite clear it will just feel like a character regression and it'll be (laughs) unsatisfying and it it seems like in the show that that's possible like the show has Gregor or has um Sandor still out and about and very much killing people so maybe uh, well maybe in in the show we currently have Cersei as a queen who could easily you know she's a fan of the trial by combat right as long as she's got the mountain fighting for, uh, could she not <laughs> yep. just reinstate it? I mean, she blew up the whole religion that said that made Tommen <laughs> make that. Tommen's yeah. dead. Everybody's dead. She, she's in control. It doesn't oh, even yeah. have to be a, a game. It doesn't even have to be a trial by combat for you know this to take place. He just needs to. They need somebody stand or size to take down somebody. You know, magic instilled and sorcery induced. And the mountain size, <laughs> perhaps. I would like to, to just uh, counter what Bubba said, though, in, in, in saying, do you really think that, that George Martin is tired of the trial by combat? <laughs> I think he likes those. Bubba Let's no see. I'll say let's see. I... You know, he's already done, what, three? Uh, we'll see. Yeah. yeah. And and theoretically, isn't he going to do yet another one in the in the Brienne, Jamie, Lady Stoneheart? Mm. Well, maybe he uh-huh, won't. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe, maybe she'll just kill him. I, I don't know. Mm. Interesting. 
I think he likes all the blood and guts. <laughs> that he, is he, true. That is true. Yeah. He, he does. Uh, he does uh, spend an awful lot of words describing food and blood. Uh, let's uh, let's move on to uh, our final character, at least that I have on my list. If anybody else can come up with any more, then that's fine too. But uh, my final character that I have on the list is is Victorian Greyjoy, uh, who was obviously replaced by Theon and Yara. I don't see any reason to need him in the show since he didn't show up for uh, the uh, the King's mood or anything like that. It seems to be gone. Um, but I do want to add this caveat. Does this really kind of tell us, because Theon and Yara were successful in allying with Daenerys, does that help Victorian's choice chances in the books? And we'll start with you, Kelly. Um, help his chances at surviving? <laughs> and, well, possibly allying with Danny. Um, it, yeah, it could work. It, it, I've seen, I've been viewing uh, the Euron character as more of an amalgamation between the Euron, uh, between the Euron and Victorian characters, because he doesn't seem as wacky as, as Euron in the book seems. Yeah. I've kind of tied his storyline more to Euron's storyline, um, if that makes any sense, because they both kind of are trying to do the same thing with allying with Danny. Does that make sense? So maybe Asha mm-hmm. will do do the stuff that the Asha in the um Show's doing, and mm. the Darian storyline will just kind of become the the Euron storyline, and whatever either of their fates are in the book will be whatever the, this this character's fate is in the show. That's the best of my analysis. Sorry, I'm not loving that character. I don't put too much thought into him. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, it, nobody loves that character, but we all love reading him uh, for whatever reason, or I do. Um, which makes me a terrible human being, I know. How, how about you, Stephanie? <laughs> Any thoughts on Victorian? Well, I was just going to say that, oh, my God, his chapter is so scary. Um, but I, I, I agree with um, Kelly that I've seen him in the show more as a combination of Euron and Victorian from the books. But like Kelly said, he's not as quirky or weird like Euron is. Um, I, you know... Like I said, I, I'm, I'm kind of scared of him, so I, I don't really have much to say. <laughs> How about you, Susan? Uh, I think that Victorian is going to blow that big dragon horn and get his insides burned out, and I think McCoro <laughs> is egging him on towards it, and that's going to be the end of Victorian. Wow. Right Woo! on. <laughs> Bubba, what do you think? Well, R.I.P. Victorian, that's kind of harsh. Uh, to be honest, <laughs> my main... My main thoughts, you know, Victorian, what a what a what a nut, huh? But anyway, but my main thoughts is because they've seemingly given the hey, Victorian goes to Marine. Well, let's give that to Yara and Theon. That m- makes me feel like Yara and Theon are some of the characters in the book who I'm really kind of confused about what they'll be doing in the next book uh, because there isn't there isn't the show path like there is in other characters of like, you know, even if, for example, even if the, the books do it much smoother and more uh, a kind of a natural uh, way that Arya will head back to Westeros, I see that happening on the show and I could easily see that happening in the book. But, but 
there's just nothing that Yara and Theon did this specific season that I could see Theon and, uh, excuse me, Asha doing in the books. You know, they, they just can't do what their TV counterpart did in season six. And so uh, in my own mind, I can't even figure what they'll be doing other than providing us POV characters in the North. I can't see anything they'd be doing. And I feel like that's way more crucial. Like, I think having those POV characters in the, the North is going to be way more useful to George. <laughs> I don't think the, the, the showrunners considered stuff like that when they, when they move these characters about the board. Uh, that's not a concern for them, whereas for George, that's a huge concern. So he might have to keep them in the North. And now these characters are as different as their names are, Yara and Asha. <laughs> <laughs> Asha will stay in the North. Yara has gone to Marine. <laughs> Any other thoughts on that, guys? Nope. Silence is golden. (laughs) All right. Here we go. Kelly's favorite subject. She's written three novellas on this subject over the course of the last couple (laughs) years of Podcast Winterfell. We're talking about the Grand Northern Conspiracy. Jon Snow is now king, which confirms the hope of the Grand Northern Conspiracy. But does it confirm the theory itself? There's a couple of things you can think for as for. Jon Snow is king, and some factions of the North United. If you want to go against the Grand Northern Conspiracy theory, as someone on this podcast naturally tends to go, not mm-hmm. saying any names, but it's, you know he's the host, um, you know, John put the force together himself, and John was made king after one impassioned speech by some little girl. Leanna Mormont, our favorite Mormont ever. Uh, It was no massive conspiracy. And the fact that we don't have a Lady Stoneheart or a Brotherhood role seemingly playing any position in Jon Snow becoming king. Did did Dave and Dan just skip ahead and go over it? Or are they saying, eh, it's not really what you think it is? Uh, Kelly, you want to start us off with your impassioned uh, imploring that uh, the show did prove the Grand Northern Conspiracy, or do you believe that it did not? Dry my eyes as I bawl as I watch this unfold so easily. Well, it took hours and hours of research and writing and putting the pieces together. (laughs) It took so much work for the I could see, I feel you, George. Let me just put it this way. I feel you, George. The pain of seeing that come together with like four lines of dialogue versus pages and pages and books and books <laughs> of effort to put it together subtly, elegantly, beautifully, and it just happens on screen. I think we're just looking at the difference between the mediums. Like, there's just, it's way easier just to show it happen in quick succession, um, and it's way more satisfying to read it happen in long, drawn-out, believable characters with believable motivations and desires and I think we're seeing the results of the GNC. I think the show has proved that it will be coming to fruition. Um, whether or not it's separate factions working for a common goal uh, or a united faction working for a common goal, like I think it all comes down to the fact that this is what happens. And, ah, uh, but if it's separate factions working for a common goal, then it's not mm-hmm. a conspiracy. Correct. <laughs> It's what we talked about on the GNC episode. That first tier is really all that really got accomplished. That's all they had in common was get rid of the Boltons. 
Um, and that second tier of conspiracy may or may not actually be a, a motivation, like a, what they're working towards while they're all at Winterfell and on their way to Winterfell and such. But they are all easily convinced by the time John is sitting in front of them. So perhaps it's in their minds as an option, but maybe not uh, an obvious one. <laughs> and we have right. no North, North clients. We have like no North clients in the show. It's, it's, there's so much that's just not in the show. So they, they, they consolidated and I respect that. They have limits. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but you got to <laughs> eliminate the whole car start uh, and slash umber flip. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's so much flipping that doesn't happen. I mean, there's that the march to Winterfell like barely happened. It, it was like <laughs> half a scene of it. It was so sad. But it's chapters and chapters of Asha just going with Stannis's army, and you find out how tragic this march was, and how many people died in the show. It was like, oh, a little sprinkling of snow. Is it? I'm a southerner. This is uncomfortable. And that was it. Like, <laughs> it's. it's as somebody who spent so much time delved into it, it was disappointing, but I, I respected it because nobody else cares as much as like the five of us in the world that run. Then they had to burn Shereed to get rid of that little bit of snow. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm like, seriously, do you know how easy you have it to your book counterparts? Get it together, <laughs> man. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm done. I'm done. I'm, I, I respect what the show did. And I think it just shows that it's where the books are going. Okay. I'll be there. Fair enough. <laughs> Stephanie, we didn't have you on the GNC podcast, but what do you think of the Grand Northern Conspiracy Theory? And uh, what do you think about the way the show kind of skipped to the end? Well, I love the Grand Northern Conspiracy, and I think you guys have done a fabulous job um, laying it out and explaining it. Um, and, you know, I think the show has, honestly, they've done a good job of um, putting it together. I do think it's true. Jon Snow is king, um, mainly because of a little Lyanna Mormont, who's the greatest character to live. But um, remember in the show, they also kind of had people rallying for Sansa, you know, telling her to put a candle in the highest tower. And um, so I think they kind of showed a little bit of conspiracy going around, you know, with loyalty for the Starks. Oh, um, I have to disagree then, with you there. I, I felt like yeah? that was merely Brienne telling the in person to get word inside to, to somebody that he trusted to, to tell Sansa. I don't think there was hmm. any conspiracy about that. You don't think so? But no, if they weren't, I don't. Com- if they didn't have that in them, would they really go against the, the Boltons if they weren't on the Stark side? I mean, that was pretty risky to do something like that. It, it, one, one woman did, and there was nobody else punished for that. You know, Ramsey showed Sansa the girl, the woman, and that was that. I think Brienne merely told that innkeep, you know, when she said, I need you to do, or asked him what he thought. Not that the most of people weren't for the Starks. Don't get me wrong. Most people are for the Starks. But just in general, I mean, compared to Theon Greyjoy and to Ramsey Bolton, what are you going to say? You know, I, I again, it doesn't seem like it's a conspiracy. That, that it just was that particular instance with the candle was just find somebody. Something that was said off screen was find somebody you trust. Tell Sansa that I'm here. Well, I think it was a conspiracy, and I think you know they had um, <laughs> after the Battle of the Bastards, they had 
They had the Stark banners ready. They were ready for this. They were <laughs> planning okay. for this. Okay, the, the Stark um, banners, the Stark banners <laughs> thing. That was that was pretty interesting. But I think they just pulled them up out of the cellar. Okay, well, you know, Matt, <laughs> you can just. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Your skepticism no. has gone a step too far, Matt. Yes. Uh, no, uh, but I, I love the Great Northern Conspiracy. I, I'm all for it. I think it's great. Um, you know, hopefully the show will maybe give us more, or, but, you know, I'm all for it. All right. Well, that's fair enough. I love that, too. Uh, <laughs> Susan, we heard your thoughts about the Grand Northern Conspiracy and POW 301 and 302, but what do you think about the way the show handled uh, this? Is it proof? Is uh, Or uh, do you feel like that uh, the skipping to the end was okay? Um, I think because of the fact that they didn't take the time to develop so many of the northern characters that are central to that, um, then, yeah, I think they had to do it that way. You know, I I, I wasn't crazy about the way they handled the car starts and the umbers. Uh, But, uh, you know, there were so many others that they didn't even – it really developed, and yes, we got wonderful Leanna Mormont, and that was great. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think without them putting the time in, into doing that development, then I think they kind of had to handle it this way. Yeah, Frey pies at the at at the Frey at the twins, Bubba. But uh, I mean, what do you think? Jon Snow is king. Uh, did they just skip to the end? Matt, hashtag skip ahead. Yeah, it was fine. Don't we, don't we want the books to have a character as fun as Liana Mormont? Uh, certainly, you know, we love Manderly in the books, and we didn't get him on the show. That's disappointing, but the show gave us a, a character, I think, just as fun in little Liana Mormont. And so, you know, it got to it. The books can hopefully do it, you know, elegantly, but... Until that point, yeah, let's go get on with it. We got 15 hours left. We got to end this thing. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It took us 15 hours to get through the GNC. Maybe they don't have to go into every detail. (laughs) We did get Frey Pies, though. Thanks. That was good. (laughs) That was Fair enough. Now, one might say that the GNC might have gotten killed by the pink letter in Dance with Dragons. It's already been defeated. Um, in one way or another. Um, and Bubba had brought up earlier that, you know, the whole question about whether Roos is dead at the end of A Dance with Dragons because of the pink letter. But, Kelly, uh, we I guess we could go ahead and open this up just a little bit. Who do we think wrote the pink letter if it wasn't Ramsey? Because there are a lot of conspiracy, like you say, there's a lot of conspiracy theorizing uh, about who wrote the pink letter. Uh, you want to outline some of this for us? Yeah, the most concise um, piece I saw was by Brendan B. Fish, props, uh, on Reddit. And it was just a very, very clear-cut description of, like, what the motivations of the characters could be, uh, what their opportunity was, and what the likelihood of that character having done that would have been for that character, and what some of the things that kind of go against the possibility of that happening were very elegantly written down. Highly recommend searching that. It's uh, the Suggestions are like Ramsey wrote it, Mance could have written it, Asha wrote it, Stannis wrote it, Melisandre could have written it. Um, I like to think that there's a Horsebane element where he could have written it. Um, but even if Ramsey did write it, there's a lot of like 
speculation that can be done about even the truth, the truthiness of the content. So there's, there's a lot of inconsistencies that come up because of it. So uh, you can't take it Kelly, necessarily as guaranteed. I was going to say, Kelly, who do you think wrote it? <laughs> uh, I think it was a Mance-Horsbane co- collaboration. <laughs> um, I think Mance- Oh, my Lord. <laughs> this is a positive, safe space for ideas, Bubba. I want your support. <laughs> right. No, no, it is. It is. And it's also a positive, safe space for people to say, come on. <laughs> no, Dario, you're on, Rodin. Come on. <laughs> oh, I love you, Bubba. But, I, yeah, there's there's possibilities abound. There's no truth to, to be seen on page just yet as to who, who wrote it. So we're not we're not sold in in Kelly Town. We're not sold yet. <laughs> Are we sold in Stephanie Town? <laughs> about who wrote it? Uh about whether Ramsey wrote it or not or whether it kills the Grand Northern Conspiracy. I don't think Ramsey wrote it. I have read Brendan B. Fish's analysis of it. Um I don't really have an idea, but I just don't think Ramsey wrote it. And, you know, I think we talked about with Stannis, that leaves a whole other thing open. Is Stannis really dead? Is Ramsay still ruling in the North? Like, I, there's so many implications of the pink letter, but I like to think that it doesn't ruin the conspiracy because I like the conspiracy. So that's my Very final enough. answer. That's, <laughs> fair that's fair enough. <laughs> now, Susan and Bubba and I, I think, discussed uh, the pink letter uh, at length during our Feast Dance Tandem read, if I recall. Susan, you were on that podcast, right? Um, I was, and I, I, you know, I think I've changed my mind a little bit about the pink letter since I don't even remember <laughs> what my opinion was of who wrote it then, but I, I think I'm at the point now where I think the simplest answer is the uh, easiest here, and I do think Gramsci is responsible for it, but um, I uh, think that he has some incorrect information. Ah. Very good. Bubba, has anything changed about your thoughts about the pink letter since we uh, last uh, talked about it way back in the Feast Dance tandem? Listen, what Susan just said, I'm taking that. I'm going to Kellytown. There's going to be a discount sale. We are going to sell it. <laughs> We're going to get make this happen. <laughs> We're going to move some product. We're going to do it. <laughs> enough is enough. <laughs> or, or we Not- say... George, give us a darn book. Enough already. <laughs> I think we, we there's, agree on that. <laughs> there, there's another aspect to the whole Grand Northern Conspiracy, which is uh, involves a, a, a certain character that we all love in the Blackfish. Um, in the books, he has escaped, right? Uh, much in the same way that uh, the... Uh, that Brienne and and Podrick escaped uh, during the siege of River Run, uh, and I know that early on, and it's been over almost a year ago now, it seems like uh, we talked about some of the aspects of Blackfish being involved in the Grand Northern Conspiracy. Kelly, um, now with Jamie and Walder, uh, basically their conversation seems to confirm that the blackfish is dead. I, I can't see any reason why Jamie wouldn't have looked for the body once the body was reported to him. Um, so does this mean 
that um, the well, first of all, what does it mean for the GNC? Second of all, what does it mean for the blackfish in the books? Does it mean his role is significantly diminished? Uh, for that, I look more towards what other events have taken place that the blackfish could have been involved with. Because we don't actually see him, so these, this other movement that has happened in the show that could imply the blackfish had an interest in that and, and was doing that. So did he go to the Vale and was part of the conversation that brought the um, army from the Vale to the north? Because that did happen in the show. Maybe in the book, Blackfish has a part in that. Um, since they completely cut out Lady Stoneheart, maybe he joined Lady Stoneheart. Um, there's things like that that I kind of look for clues into where the Blackfish ended up, um, how either his role was played by someone else in the show or how his storyline was cut out with other things that were cut out. So I, it could be said diminished. I don't, I, nothing's impossible, but it makes me so sad. <laughs> yeah. So, I want to say there's one of those other things that hasn't, like his, like the GNC got completely skipped, so who knows what his influence in the GNC was. Um, if it's true, Baba, if it's true. Sorry, sorry. I think the GNC is true. I'm sorry if my little pink letter uh, variant of the GNC was bad. I, I, I'm down. I, I agree. Oh, okay. All right. So you you pick and choose where you think it's going too far. <laughs> Bubba likes doesn't every, doesn't everyone. Hold on. Doesn't everyone? <laughs> Bubba, were you sad to see the Blackfish die? Or to uh, feel like I, Blackfish I was dead? Sad to, I was sad to see him die on this show because I, like many book readers, we've had so long to wait for these darn books, you start thinking of all the awesome things he could be doing in the book. And once again, he, he could still do kind of cool things in this in these last couple of books. But the fact that the show and the actor, let's be honest, the actor is pretty good was pretty good on the show. But the, again, because the actor because the show, excuse me, did kind of just say, okay, here's a character. He was a dangling thread. We've taken care of him. Nothing to see here, folks. It does make me think that these characters, their counterparts in the book, you know, once again, it goes into, you know, importance or significant, but it makes me realize just how insignificant they may be in the books and probably, to be completely honest, probably are in the book. So sad, but, you know, once again, I, I'm, I am at the point where I'm ready to see this thing come together and end. And so, if that means occasionally skipping ahead and saying goodbye to a character I do like, an actor I do like, in the Blackfish, I understand it. Let's just go. Understood. Understood. How about uh, you, Stephanie? I was, yeah, I was definitely sad to see the Blackfish um, end, but he went out fighting. Um, you know, it was more... Edmure's lame decision to like give up the castle. Um, and I like the actor who plays Edmure, but you know, it was just kind of like, ah, why'd you do that? And then the blackfish, he dies. And like Bubba was saying, what, what are the, you know, future, I guess I keep saying implications of that, but does it mean that he's just not that important to the story anymore? Um, I'm not sure if he really had anything to do with the grand Northern conspiracy, but, you know, it just kind of sucks that he's he's gone from the show, and that just probably means he's not that important to the overall story in the books either. 
Understood. Susan, final word on Blackfish and on the Grand Northern Conspiracy. It's all yours. <laughs> okay. Um, I agree with what Stephanie said about one of the things I thought was most tragic about the whole Blackfish story on the show was how they interpreted Edmure. Because I think in the books, I am under the impression that Edmure was collaborating with the Blackfish and helping him escape and sharing information that he had learned through the Brotherhood and so forth. So I didn't like to see them coming to a conflict the way they did in the show. Um, so again, it's another case to me of um, them just consolidating and eliminating things in the show that are going to be different than they are in the books. And uh, that's how I feel about the whole or the conspiracy for that fact. Gotcha. Very good. And uh, let's move on to whether Tyrion is a secret Targ. This is a popular theory, and uh, it seems like the world of Ice and Fire with dates has, has pointed towards Tyrion being more of a possible uh, Targaryen than Jaime or Cersei. Um, however, uh, the show has done a couple of little things that maybe the books uh, will do or are might do uh, to point more in that direction as well. Tyrion's interaction with the dragons was nothing like Quentin Martell, which was my fear when I first saw that scene. I was like, oh no, they're not going to do the Quentin Martell thing to Tyrion. They can't do that. That's like doing the whole uh, the whole fake drowning. Um, you know, so I was uh, I was relieved to find out that the dragons just kind of listened to him, but the the dragon does have three heads, so we know John's one now. We know Danny's one. Is Tyrion the third? Uh, further proving the Fagon thing to be out. Um, what do we think, uh, Bubba? I know that you're not a big fan of secret targs, and and you'd rather um, Tyrion maybe not be a targ, or at least the last time we talked, I thought that was the way you felt. Um, but the, it does give him an out for not being a kinslayer. I, Matt, you are describing my position very, very well. But the one thing I, I think you're leaving out is that I could definitely see it happening. I can see this, this actually being a thing in the books, in in the books at least. Tyrion being a, the quote unquote third head of the dragon, the secret Targaryen. I I could totally see it, and I think George. You wonder why he's given us so many hints if it isn't true if he mm-hmm. would really go this far for what you would call a red herring but uh it doesn't feel like in the last 15 episodes you can get there in the show especially since the show hasn't been giving us these clues so you know. mm. good point good point that's uh, just my- oh that's a good point uh how about you stephanie um, I agree with Bubba. I think, I, well, I like the secret Targaryen theory, though. Um, I think the books have given us plenty of evidence with Tyrion's dragon dreams and, you know, Joanna Lannister probably being raped, unfortunately, by King Aerys. Um, You know, the books have given us so many clues um, that, like Bubba said, I don't know why George would drop so many clues and then have them not come to fruition um but in regards to the show the only thing we've really seen is the one scene with Tyrion 
talking to the dragon. And while that was really awesome and really cool, um, I think it'll take, like Bubba said, a lot of steps and a lot of leaps to show that, hey, wait, no, this actually isn't Tywin's son, you know, and they made such a big deal about him killing Tywin and being a kinslayer and everything. I think it just, I think Tyrion is a secret Targaryen, but I don't think the show is going to get there. And if they are, I'm not sure how they're going to get there, if they get there. Right on. Very good. Fair enough. Uh, how about you, Susan? Uh, I concur with uh, what Stephanie had to say there. I, I'm also a fan of, of Tyrion being Targaryen. Uh, they haven't talked about Three Heads of the Dragon on the show. Uh, so, um, That's true. You know, I don't think it's going to be an issue there. I don't even know if they're going to end up having three dragon riders. Uh, you know, who knows? But I do think it is going to be in the books. Very good. And Kelly, final word? Uh, I'm pretty sure that Tyrion's going to ride a dragon in the show. So um, I just feel like they put so much energy into Peter Dinklage, and they love this. And I, Even if it doesn't happen in the books, I'm sure he will be on a dragon by the end of it, just from how whitewashed his character has, has kind of happened. And he's the hero, really. And it, it's perfect for the show's track record, I think, to put him on a dragon. Um, if all it takes is, let's say, he sits on the dragon and has a magical connection and has a flash vision montage of him not being a Lannister, but really being a Targaryen and just succession of images somehow and a voice or something, maybe, maybe not. But <laughs> it could happen. It could happen really quickly. And, I mean, that would be a very satisfying character moment for him. And um, the show is not above that fan service, you know, so... <laughs> Um, it might be, play out differently in the book, but I, I could see it happening in the show. And I don't see it being too difficult to to achieve. You know what, Kelly? It's just convinced me. I, I, all right, the show can pull this off. Yeah. Right. Well, <laughs> and, and, and just as one little caveat, and I can't remember if the show has covered Danny's mother being dying during childbirth or not, but it doesn't really matter because if John is a secret target and his mother died in childbirth, and Tyrion's mother died in, ah. died in childbirth. And you have the fact that, that Tywin's constantly saying, I can't prove that you're my son, even though and he Danny's also said... And Danny's mom died in childbirth. <laughs> well, yeah, Danny's mom died in childbirth, but did the show cover that? That's what I'm saying. Oh, yeah, you're right. Um, I, I don't know. I just can't recall whether they've mentioned it or not. And it's possibly that they have, but it's a possibility that they have, but I just can't recall it. Um, I'm just saying, you know, the, the secret targs, uh, have that in common if if Tyrion is in fact a secret targ, so uh, I love that thought. Mm-hmm. Um, let's move on to uh, someone who is not a Targaryen by any stretch of the imagination, although maybe just as ruthless and just as mad. By the time we see her at the end of season six, let's move on to Arya here. Um, in the books, of course, she's still at the House of the Undying, and uh, we do have a sample chapter uh, from the Winds yeah. of Winter with Mercy. <laughs> Getting the same name and everything, uh, by uh, as Bubba pointed out in our doc here. So, um, do we feel like Arya's storyline, as far as the House of the Undying goes, has been spoiled by the TV show, as far as the books go, uh, completely? Do we do we see the same end for Arya um, in the books, uh, at least to where she is right now in the television show? Let's start with you, Susan. Huh. Um, wow. Well, you know, <laughs> Arya's arc in the this season was one thing that 
you know, we weren't too crazy about in terms of the way that uh, she ended up. No, no, no. Some of you weren't house. crazy about. Not all of us. Okay. All right. All right. I won't make that generalization. Um, but um, I, and and I'm not sure that I'm gonna. You know, in terms of Arya going back and you know killing uh, a Walter Frey and all that, I'm not sure about my take on that. I love a theory that's been put forth by uh, Radio Westeros on this, where um, we have in the Sample Theon chapter Justin Massey being sent by Stannis to uh, take Jane Poole to the Wall, and then that she may end up going to Bravos with him. In fact, when she gets to the Wall, John's probably you know not going to be have been brought back to life yet, and he had even considered sending his sister Arya to Bravos if she if she made it there. So if she makes it to to Bravos, uh, the idea that um, it's even been said uh, one comment that Theon said to her is that no one uh, will care what Arya looks like when Jane was so upset about her looks and so forth. If she makes it to the House of Black and White, that maybe Arya could take her place and come back as as uh, Jane Poole. Wow, I hadn't heard that one yet. What what episode of Radio yeah. Westeros is that? Is it recent? Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know. You know, I, I'm not sure how recent it is. They they do have there's an essay on it uh, on their site. Arya's new face. Uh, they put okay. together some clues in terms of, like I said, some of the things that have been said about Jane and the fact that she's probably going to end up going to Bravos, and uh, that if Arya did come back uh, with uh, Jane's face, that uh, it could be maybe um, appropriate for her to end up being the one who kills Ramsay, that uh, she learned about that basilisk venom, which is uh, the uh, poison that makes uh, animals kind of go crazy, that uh, mm-hmm. was the one thing that was probably fed to that dog at... Uh, Heron Hall that killed that guy, that mm-hmm. Jack, Jack killed that guy for her, that possibly she could use that on Ramsey's dog so that that would be kind of poetic justice and a little bit similar to how Ramsey died there in the in the show. Interesting. I like it. Uh, how about you, Kelly? I'm recovering. That blew my mind. That sounds so good. Um, my only question <laughs> is, like, the t- the time, you know, like, how long will that take? And, you know, that stuff like that is a little – I'm sure they made a good point of it, and I, I did find the essay you were talking about. It was from, like, a long, long time ago, like, their second essay. Oh, okay. So if you, you have to dig back if you want to find it. But, um, but yeah, the, the, the aria in the show is so different, and um, I'm wondering how – Book Aria will get there. So in, uh, I feel like I didn't think about it until until Stephanie pointed that out. But yeah, Aria is taking up some of the um, Lady Stoneheart storyline. Um, so maybe they just kind of jump started her her killing spree a little early by giving her her mom's uh, murder victims or or at least behavior um, and uh, and goals with with fray vengeance. So. It could catch up. She could catch up with uh, with her show self, I guess. I don't know. I, I'm a little worried for my namesake here. I'm, not, I'm a little underfoot, but mm. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna have to take some 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 ideas from you guys on, on where she could go because mostly my brain is like refusing to see her as this evil assassin that has no heart, and that's kind of how she seems to be going in the show, which is awesome and and like. Very cool to see, but 
I want to say badass, but I don't know if we're allowed to <laughs> cut that out a second. That was naughty, <laughs> but um, <laughs> but it is. It, it, it's exciting and exhilarating in that way. But other than that, it makes my heart sad. I'm very sad for her. So unless that's what they want, um, I can't see this as going another way for her. You know, if they want the audience to be sad for for this girl, I guess. They got it. <laughs> <laughs> Stephanie? Um, well, first of all, Susan, I like that theory. I hadn't heard that one either. That was pretty interesting. Um, but in regards to Aria in the show, I think they kind of did, they just jumped ahead with her storyline. Um, I think they figured out, okay, we're taking too long in Bravo, so we need to move this forward. So that's why it just went so quickly in you know, I was kind of perplexed by how quickly she recovered from her deadly stab wound and how she just kind of hopped on a ship and was in Westeros all of a sudden. Um, so I think they just sped her timeline up really quickly. Um, and I, I do kind of like her taking over the Lady Stoneheart and killing Freys and kind of being a killer. Um, it doesn't make me as sad as it makes Kelly. I think Arya... I think... I think it kind of works for her, and I think she'll make her way to Winterfell and maybe go mess up some White Walkers um, mm-hmm. somehow. Um, but I, after she I, meets I up of, with Nymeria, right? Yeah. After oh she meets- my God! Yes. I forgot <laughs> about Nymeria and her pack of wolves, but we haven't seen Nymeria or her pack of wolves in the show. But that would be pretty good if she met up with her dire wolf and they just went to mess up some people. I'd be all for it. I want her to meet up with Nymeria and come back to Arya, being Arya again. That's what I want in the show. Um, in the books, I'd feel like uh, I feel like it's probably going to go pretty close to the same route. Um, let's go to you, Bubba. Well, just as everyone's saying, you know, the show is a lot of times what you would call cutting to the chase. Let's get to it. I think everybody has believed for quite a while that Arya is going to end up back in Westeros. We all know, or assume, I should say, that she's not going to spend the rest of her life in Bravo. And so the show found a very inelegant way of her just being able to say, okay, you know what, this isn't for me later, and then hopping on a boat and getting back home. George would never do something so inelegant, for lack of a better word. Uh, but the fact that they just did it, I'm glad she's back in Westeros. So it's like, yeah, thank God. Let's get on with it. I, to be honest, I think in the Cersei, uh, Faith Militant, and Terrell situation, the show also took what you would call a shortcut, a get on with it moment. And okay, let's just blow them all up. But that was an elegant way to end the story and to quote unquote get on with it. So, uh, you know. I would have bet money that Arya would be heading back to Westeros probably uh, somewhere in the upcoming novel, The Winds of Winter. I love that the preview chapter showed us this uh, acting troupe that Arya is with in Bravos, and I love that this, how the show showed us that acting troupe. And so uh, I, I guess I, I, I'm just glad the show, I wish they could have you know, made this transition of her back to her homeland uh, smoother and more elegant, but the fact they did it, I'm glad. Like, yes, I want the story to move. That's my general thought on art. Do you guys think the the way that they had Arya kind of rebel and escape is how it'll kind of turn out in the book? 
Or do you guys have another theory, or do you just think it'll be more I, elegant? <laughs> I had an I had an issue with like her escaping the house of black and white. You mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. had an issue with that just because you know they're deadly assassins. I don't think they're just going to let her, you know, cut the face off the waif and then just kind of walk out and go back home. Right. Um, she has their trade secret. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, so she just can't, like, just be like, okay, like, I killed this girl, bye. Um, I don't think Jackin or the kindly man would stand for that. So that was one issue that I did have with the with the show, that it was just like, well, wait, these are, like, super fancy magical assassins. She just can't up and walk out of there. <laughs> Yeah, she's a novice. Yeah, she's like a novice somehow, like, and she escaped them. Unless that's what they wanted, it seems really strange that she was able to pull yeah. it off. Clearly, you all didn't listen to my two Aria podcasts because I feel I like did. in the sh- I, I feel like in the show it was Jockin's intention all along to allow her to get the skills and leave. Yeah, well, that's oh, that's what I'm saying. Unless it was intended. Yeah. Hey, hey, Matt, we listened. We just didn't agree. <laughs> well, I wanted to make it sound like it was my idea. <laughs> Matt, I like that idea. I, I, I kind of agree with you on that. Um, the only thing, As far as the uh, show goes. Now, as far as the books go, yeah. Susan, I, I, I have no idea. I agree with you in right. the ton- context of the books. No, she can't exactly do that, but I do feel like right. she's going to get back to Westeros, yeah. Right, yeah. I just, I think that Jack did want her to gain the skills. The thing that just really, that whole thing with the waif, I think that it was uh, an example of how poorly that was handled was the fact that the week between when that whole thing started and when it ended, we were all coming up with these wild, crazy theories about how this was going to work out because it just didn't make any sense. Mm. Yes. Yeah, and we've never come up with wild, crazy theories. Okay, now back oh. to who wrote the pink letter. Or, All right, or so the pink letter was written by a ghost monster. For, oh, wait, what? I This was an extreme. Oh, it's funny. I, I, I remember even I even retweeted a, uh, a screenshot of the shadow uh, of a of, of a, a screenshot of, of a shadow behind Arya and, and and somebody saying it's Cereal Pharrell, it's Cereal Pharrell. <laughs> I jumped on that bandwagon. I loved it, man. I thought this is great. This is crazy. It's not Cereal Pharrell, but this is great. I'm going to retweet this. this is fantastic. <laughs> it's hype for a reason, guys. It's hype for a reason. <laughs> it's all yeah, you know. That's the heck, man. We got us. We got us some uh, additional uh, additional tweets. Uh, additional followers for that tweet, actually, I think. Um, I bought. I bought that she gave the young actress her face, and that's why she got stabbed so badly because she didn't realize the young, it was, that was the young actress that got stabbed by uh, by the uh, waif instead of Arya. Yeah, yeah. We all bought into. We were we were grasping for anything. Yeah. But in the end, it, in the end, it was just time compression. Yeah. Um. Let's move on, guys, because uh, we've been going for a long time and we still got a few subjects to tackle here. Uh, Bubba mentioned it just a little earlier, but just real quickly, um, if we can, uh, the Terrell fate. We have Mace, we have uh, Marjorie, we have Loris. 
all dying in the sept in the show at the hands of Cersei. Um, do we feel like that that's possibly their fate in the books as well? Maybe not in the same way, of course, but uh, for Cersei to somehow be able to take Marjorie and, and the rest of the Tyrells out, save the Queen of Thorns. Let's start with you, Bubba. Yeah, sorry. Quickly, I think, yes, the Tyrells are doomed. Uh, I think if we're not talking about it, but if you follow some season seven spoilers, it even kind of implies some of the things George has implied about the Tyrells in the later book. So they're doomed. They will not die in a uh, wildfire explosion in the Sept. We know that in the book, wildfire was removed from under the Sept. The long story short, yeah, I love the Tyrells, but uh, they're doomed. Right on. How about you, Kelly? Uh, I think they might get rolled into the um, Fagon storyline and be doomed in that from that angle. But since they don't have Fagon in the show, they went with the giant spectacular explosion method of extermination, which is very effective. Um, and uh, it was great for show, but I, I don't think that'll be the way that Cersei um, gets anything that she wants in the books. I think it'll be more... There'll be a lot more of the long, long dialogue than Bubba Lung. <laughs> gotcha. <Lesson>. That's it. <laughs> yep. Susan, how about you? Um, yeah, I agree that, you know, Marjorie and Mace are, are doomed. I don't know about Loris uh, in terms of, you know, where we've, we've got this question about him being out on Dragonstone and was he burned or, you know, what's his status. I do think that the other two Tyrell brothers, Willis and Garland, are going to play some longer role in the story going forward. So I don't think that necessarily the whole house of Tyrell is going to die out like in the in the show, but I do think that that uh, Marjorie and Mace are definitely doomed. And one little quick aside is that I just learned this little historical fact this week about the name Tyrell. I don't know if you all are aware of this or not, but... Uh, apparently going back to War of the Roses connections with George, that it was uh, a, someone under the name with the name Tyrell under King Richard III that is thought to be responsible for the killing of the two princes in the tower, possibly. So that was, uh, I didn't know there was a historical Tyrell before, so I just uh, thought that was a cool little detail I picked up. Interesting. Is the best I did not know that. <laughs> I did not know this. George isn't writing anything new. He's just taking stuff and just rewriting it. That's all it is. Uh, Stephanie, your thought on the Terrell fate? Did we lose Stephanie? We lost Stephanie. Okay. uh, Why don't we then move on to Lannister fates? Because we've had Marcella and Tommen both killed in the show. They're not dead yet in the books. Um, what are some possibilities that could have that happen? Uh, it's still, we still have the looming prophecy um, for Cersei in the books, and it, we've seen it come to fruition in the show. Um, Kelly, what do you think? Uh, how will Marcella and Tommen die? Oh, uh, Tommen will probably die by the, um, the, the sand snake that ended up going to uh, King's Landing, is my, my best guess, because I, I think they might have played that with them killing Marcella didn't make as much sense in the show until I thought about the 
Sand Snake going to King's Landing because it sounds it seemed like they were doing all this girl power stuff in Dorne and killing Marcella. It doesn't seem. I guess their hatred for the Lannisters trumped their girl power mentality or something. But um, yeah, so I think killing Tommen fits more with what I believe of of their their um, mentality is that they have no problem killing the boy. But uh, so I think that'll be a Sand Snake uh, activity, and then. Mm, but Marcella, I guess she could just die of exposure. I don't know. She's out in the the desert, so there's something like that. Something unintentional, I think, will be the, mm. the her her soft upbringing has not prepared her for a, a desert travel. I don't know. Got gotcha. <laughs> Something like gotcha. that. Yeah. Uh, Susan, how about you? Uh, yes, this is what I was saying before about the sand snakes. I think that. Uh, one or both of those children will be killed by the sand snakes who are going to King's Landing and possibly uh, Marcella on the way to King's Landing. But, uh, yeah, there. Or the other possibility that I've heard bandied about that could be uh, could make some sense is uh, uh, John Connington as they uh, take over King's Landing, the fact that he has said that he wants to and the usurper's line for good and all is one of his uh, quotes, mm. uh, and you know, and put uh, Rhaegar's Rhaegar, son on the throne. So um, that may foreshadow him having a role in that. So those are the two ideas I have. Just slap him, and it'll have some grayscale. That'll do it. <laughs> uh, Bubba, what you got? Well. Just kind of repeating what everybody else said, we know they're doomed. They've been doomed for quite a while. I would say we also would think that the book Tommen is too young to commit suicide. And so uh, I think personally, the one area I guess I would disagree with uh, some of the other comments is I do think Cersei has to have a hand, uh, a role in their death, or at least in the last one alive step one way or another. I don't know how that is, but I think she has to have a role in it. And what that will be, you know, we'll find out. Hey, Stephanie, uh, what do you think about the Lannister fate? Um, The kids, um, I definitely agree with everyone else that they're pretty much doomed from the prophecy. Um, I like Bubba's point that um, Tommen in the book is too young to commit suicide because he's like, I think only eight or something. Um, but I, yeah, I pretty much agree with everyone else. Sorry, I got disconnected. I don't know what happened. <laughs> oh, that's all right. That's all right. Uh, let's go on to thinking about this though, as far as, and this is, I know something that Bubba has pondered a lot. So I'll go to you first. Tom and Marcella are dead. Would Cersei be able to take over the throne? She's not really an heir to the throne, but she is the nearest relative to anyone who last had it. So, I mean, are we looking at, uh, you'd have to have Gendry or, um, I can't remember the, the the Baratheon bastard, the girl who's in the veil. One of them would have to be legitimized. Maya Stone. By these rules. Maya Stone, exactly. Maya Stone, uh, okay. Let, 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 uh, me just jump, let me just jump in, Matt, and say that George R. R. Martin has said, and I'm going to take him on his word, it says that there are going to be several more people on the throne 
before the you know before this book series is done. So several more people and two more books. Uh, who could it be? Well, to get a bunch more, because we've really only had three. We've had Robert, is Grace King Joffrey, and Usurper Thomas. So how can you get many more through? Well, I think you do need somebody uh, or unorthodox, for a lack of a better word. Maybe not Cersei, but if you, if we assume Fagon might get it for a bit, you assume uh, based on the sample chapter, and if people don't like sample chapters, uh, you know, skip ahead 30 seconds, but you assume Maybe even Euron might get there based on the vision Dampier had. So, yeah, I could see Cersei just at a certain point just claiming it by force. I don't think Cersei even on the show is doing it because she believes she has the right. I think she's just doing it by force. And so uh, let me say I could see Cersei taking that seat. Is that it? Yeah, sorry. That's my thoughts. Sorry. Okay, sorry. I, I couldn't hear your last word. It kind of got cut off, so that's why I was like... Um, all right, well, let's go to uh, you, Stephanie. What do you think? Who 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 would sit, try to take the throne if both Tom and Marcella were gone? I mean, I can definitely see Cersei trying, but I feel like there's so many other pieces in the book, you know, the Tyrells are still alive. I know you guys talked about that, that they all kind of got wiped out. Um, the High Sparrow is still alive. Um, you know, I feel like in the books there'd be so many obstacles for Cersei to overcome. And yeah, she does have, you know, the mountain to kill everybody for her and do her bidding. Um, but, you know, maybe Marjorie might try to take over in the books. Because in the show, mm-hmm. she's dead. But in the books, you know, she's Tommen's wife. So she might say, look, I'm queen. Here I am. And then, you know, something terrible could happen that, at Cersei's hands. And then Cersei takes over. But I think Marjorie will try to rule um, after, presumably, the children die. <laughs> Interesting. Very good. How about you, Susan? Um, well, I do like that dream that Cersei has at the beginning of uh, Feast where she's sitting on the Iron Throne with Tyrion capering in front of her and uh, that she starts getting caught up by the throne and everything. So I don't know. You know, she might make it there. Uh, The other scenario that I see is, as I am a firm believer in the idea that uh, Aegon and John Connington are going to um, uh, take over in King's Landing from the Lannisters that it could be that she doesn't have the time to do that, that all of that is happening at the time that uh, her last uh, child is being killed. So, uh, And then the younger, more beautiful queen being Arianne Martell, who comes with uh, Fagon. Interesting. Very good. Uh, Kelly, last word. Oh, blowing my mind with your theories, Susan. You know so much. I... I literally almost never think of the Iron Throne. So I, I, I just accept what the show gave us is that Cersei takes over the throne. Um, and then after that, uh, if there are supposedly multiple other people that take it, like Danny could sit on it. But my endgame mind is always that there is no more Iron Throne at the end. So whoever takes it in between Cersei and any and when it's demolished, I feel like they're going to be like the king for a day or queen for a day, and then it's gone. So whoever it is that liberates 
Westeros, I think, will, will be, whether it's Fagon, Danny, John, Arya, Sansa, whoever it is, will be the last person to sit on it. And that's the, the plural people after Tommen. Right on. Very good. Let's, uh, let's move on then to uh, another thought that came up in season six towards the, I guess the middle to the end of season six. And that's um, the return of Benjen. First of all, do you feel like that the way that uh, no matter how you feel about whether Benjen is cold hands or not, do we feel like that how Benjen survived is at least a reasonable explanation as to why book cold hands is still around, even if he is very old. Let's tackle that one first. Uh, let's go to you, Kelly. Yeah, I don't understand, I guess, how they justified Benjamin being cold hands, except they just wanted fan service. So that's <laughs> fine, and that's great, and I accept that. And we got free pies, and we got Benjamin. I show is done its duty and that's all I can expect from it. But for the book, that's, I think very likely not Benjen. And Benjen has some other role to play. So, um, okay. I, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And okay. as far as as far as Cold Hands being able to survive, was he aided by the Children of the Forest the same way that Benjen was, do you think? Yeah. Regardless I of who he, he is? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he seems allied with them, so it seems, and he's doing Bloodraven's bidding by bringing um, Bran to him. So I think that there's some, at least, we're not the others, so we must at least work together a little bit. Whether there's actually an alliance between them all, at some, in one way or another. Um, but yeah, they, they're just this, the the Benjamin having been helped by the children, fine, and Cold Hands having the same storyline, fine. <laughs> Very good. Uh, how about you, Susan? Uh, the, I mean, we've had these discussions before. I've had this with many people about, you know, the, this note to the editor that Dave, but Dave and Dan directly called Benjamin Coldhands, and like Kelly said, it may have just been fan service, or could it be that George was just merely lying to his editor? And if uh, Coldhands, even if he isn't Benjamin in the books. Um, was the explanation as to how cold hands could even be around satisfactory for you? Uh, I think we lost Susan. Oh, did we lose Susan? We lost Susan. All right. Well, how about to you, Stephanie? Okay. Um, I I do agree that it was fan service. And, um, you know, regarding his note to the editor, I I think that's a really interesting tidbit that you, you brought up. Um, I don't think George was lying to his editor. I think Dave and Dan just did what they wanted and, you know, okay. I think, you know, they, yeah, they've just done what they wanted. Um, I was kind of excited to see Benjamin because, you know, what we saw, him, I think, in episode one and that was it. And then, you know, he pops up five seasons later and it was kind of like, oh, hey, there he is. Um, so it was it was cool to see him, but I think like it was mostly like Deus ex machina, but with Benjamin and cold hands. I like, yeah, it was just fan service, but it was okay. <laughs> Very good. Susan, what do you got? Um, on, um, I got, I got cut off there for a minute. So I, I dialed back up. We're, we're talking about what now? <laughs> Benjamin? Oh, uh, whether, whether, uh, you think that George was lying to his editor and not about Benjamin yeah. and cold hands or whether Dave and Dan just 
kind of um, took the ball in their own hands. Right. Um, I think they took the ball in their own hands. I don't think George was lying. I think that they've combined cold hands with Benjamin. Um, I'm hoping that we will get some explanation about cold hands eventually in the book, or I mean about Benjamin eventually in the book, that we'll know a little bit about what happened to him. Um, but um, I do think that they just were combining characters for the sake of not introducing this strange character, Rodney Elf. They brought back in someone that the fans were familiar with and happy to see again. Now, Bubba, if I recall from our Feast Dance tandem read, you had determined that uh, Cold Hands was actually time-traveling Jon Snow, time-traveling dead Jon Snow. <laughs> so do you still believe that? Matt, if you reveal my secret theories, then no one will have a reason to go back and download those old shows. So let's just say that might be it. <laughs> Were you satisfied uh, with, uh, actually, I with it was what they did? traveling brand, but sure. I, I just to be succinct, I agree with everybody. I think the showrunners combined two characters, and so that's why they were actually saying both characters' names: Benjamin Colton. That's my thought. Mm-hmm. Right on. Were you were you okay with the reason? I mean, does that seem like a plausible explanation as to why Cold Hands would still be around, even if he's if he's a, maybe a six seven hundred year old corpse? Yeah, <laughs> sure. Magic right, right has on. a plan, baby. Right on. Uh, we've got this one from I am King underscore forty five via Twitter, uh, and I love this because um, I am King had expressed that he liked the fact that whether Marjorie was involved in the purple wedding or not seems more ambiguous in the books. Obviously, in the show, um, she seemed pretty oblivious about it until the Queen of Thorns tells her. Um, which do you like better? Do you like the fa- do you like the idea that Marjorie had no involvement at all? Um, do you think that she did have any involvement at all? Let's go to you, Kelly. I I like seeing her uh, progression on screen as she went from <clears throat> being maybe slightly protected, but also still learning from her grandmother at that time, to definitely capable and mm, slightly on the nicer side of manipulative. <laughs> I don't want to straight out call her manipulative because it really was just self-preservation most of the time. But the the in the show or in the book, she did she did have um, not she did not seem as capable as she did in the show. So it's that weird mix of like it seems like she was able to grow beyond her book character within like an episode of the show um, and surpassed her. Whereas in the show, maybe it's just not as evident on page that she is as capable and manipulative. Um, and it's not all her grandma doing it, but uh, I I prefer the the show Marjorie um, that we get to kind of see her progression and learning. Here Very good. <laughs> all right. Uh, how about you, Stephanie? Well, I have a special affinity for Natalie Dormer, so I prefer her the show Marjorie as well. Uh, but I do. I like the idea that she was involved in the plot. Um, that makes her a little more sinister, a little more interesting. Um, and like I said, I, I love Natalie Dormer. I think she's amazing. Um, I think it gives her a little more spice to know that she she was, like, plotting against her new husband at their wedding. Um, I, I like it. Very good. Uh, how about you, Susan? Uh, yes, I... 
do think that in the books Marjorie was in on the whole thing because of the fact that she was sharing that cup with Joffrey. And I think that the family would want to have been in a position to have given her some sort of warning to not be drinking out of the it anymore after the poison had been inserted. Interesting. And I, I didn't have it in our notes here, but I am King underscore 45. It brought up that same point. So I like that. Bubba, uh, you know, this is the gal who might have possibly taken out your king. What are you going <laughs> to say to that? Uh, well, I'm going to ignore your trying to bait me, trying to bait me about his grace. <laughs> and instead say that, you know, that I may be completely alone on this. But I've always felt that the only difference between show Marjorie and book Marjorie is age, and show Marjorie is getting a POV with book Marjorie. I think the characters are too similar. So I, I know people have that feeling. I never thought book Marjorie was involved in the Purple Wedding, and so the fact that show Marjorie wasn't, to me, that made logical sense. Very good. Very good. And uh, we've covered Will Shireen die. We've covered uh, Will Doran die, or, or at least we briefly touched on those. So let's move on, Baba, to Rickon. I mean, give us, give us your thoughts here about Rickon. Is he really a shaggy dog story in the books? Well, it's very funny that it wasn't until the show, and to be honest, uh, a couple of years ago on the show, that I really put the name of Rickon's direwolf, Shaggy Dog, together with the infamous Shaggy Dog uh, story literary device. And now the way that Rickon got dispensed so kind of haphazardly on the show, man, oh man, I am worried that the, that name Shaggy Dog is actually Martin kind of laying a little hint as to what he meant with the character. And so my question is for everybody. Does Rickon really have a story, a real story to play in the end of this saga? To be honest, I never really thought he, he had much of one. Martin hasn't given him much time as a character through all these books. And then to see the show kind of take him out so suddenly, so kind of well, afterthought, well, I, I just think, okay, this, this is a shaggy story probably for Martin as well. That was my thought. Here, here's my answer. Here's my answer, and then I'll go to you, Kelly, and we can just go around um, to then Susan and then Stephanie. My answer is yes. I believe that Rickon is a Shaggy Dog story, and I think that that means the end for Davos as well. No. Wow. <laughs> yeah. How about you, Kelly? Well, for those who don't know what the Shaggy Dog story is, because I just had to Google that because I'm not as smart as Matt and Bubba, apparently. <laughs> An extremely long-winded anecdote characterized by extensive narration of typically irrelevant incidences and terminated by an anticlimax or a pointless punchline. That's so disheartening to read, but so feels so true for Rickon. Would he be so obvious? I don't think George would be so obvious. I have to soak this in for a second, guys. That's blowing my mind. You guys are too smart for me. And I think I might have to agree with you. <laughs> Oh, sad. That's awesome. I learned something today. Thank you, Bubba. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> I'm going to cry now. 
There's no crying. There's no crying. <laughs> Is Matt there? How, how, can you hear us? <laughs> did we lose Matt? I think so. I think, I think he did. Oh, my well? God. We lost Matt? <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> while, while we're waiting, I'll share the fact that I don't. I, I agree. I think that Rickon is a, a a taggy dog as well, though I do think we're going to see Davos bring him back, but then I don't think he's going to, his story is going to amount to anything. Mm. Oh, man. Man, that's sad. And, Go ahead, Steph. Well, I was going to say, Kelly said she was going to start crying now. I remember just crying so hard when I don't who was it, the car stark or someone threw Shaggy Dog's head on uh in in the show and I remember everybody saying, No, that's not Shaggy Dog, that's too small, that can't happen. This is all like part of the conspiracy. You know, we were all <laughs> up in arms, you know, hoping that it really wasn't happening, um, that it really wasn't Shaggy Dog's head and Rickon really wasn't betrayed by the car starks or whoever and you know, and then it turned out to be true and then, you know, Rickon doesn't Bob and Weave, he just runs in a straight line and gets killed. It's like, man, you know, it was disappointing. And I, I, I agree with everyone that he is a shaggy dog, but, you know, we were hoping he wasn't. <laughs> I was hoping he wasn't. Yeah. It, it, could, it could be that uh, Davos' Davos's fate does not have to be tied to him and that he has been going off on a, on a wild goose chase, a wild shaggy dog case where he doesn't uh, participate um, he doesn't participate in the fighting and then comes back and, and delivers Rickon or not and either way he just avoided all of the fighting and just has to deal with the consequences hopeful voice maybe the, the last <laughs> Hopefully. sentence of the last Davos POV will be oh. as the cold overtook him and this, and his eyes darkened he thought he saw a unicorn? Question mark. <laughs> oh man! All right, Matt. We got to trim these characters, Matt. You it. You're cold-blooded. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, I'm telling you, George, get to work. Uh, I got it for you. There you go. Use it. I won't even take a, a cre- writing credit. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> Bubba, you've got another one for us. What is it? All right, so this one is a true book spoiler, and that is, you know, my favorite moment of season six, the tragic ending of our boy Willis, probably Walder in the book, a.k.a. Hodor. And so I was throwing out a question for everybody, and that is, what door in the book will will, will Hodor hold the door on? My first thought is somehow that the door he's holding in the book could be the Black Gate, the infamous uh, pathway which allowed Bran and his companions to get north of the wall in the books. And I was thinking, well, maybe that'll be the door Hodor holds the door on. But if anybody had any other ideas, I'd love to hear them. Anybody have any guesses as to when Hodor's hold the door moment will happen in the book? Uh, I'd love to hear too, because once again, that was mine. Uh, you know, kind of the moment that really blew me away. What do you think, Stephanie? Oh, that's such a good idea. I never, I haven't thought about what door he's going to hold. 
So I, I, let me ask you this, Bubba. Is the black gate that you're talking about, is that the one that's made out of wherewood? Yeah. Or isn't yeah, there the a door? That, yeah, I was going to That That's my own so, guess, but, you know, it could be any door. It could be any door. It could be one at Winterfell. Um, yeah. Oh, man. That's, yeah. I, I'm not sure. Um, I like the idea of the black gate. Because that's what I immediately thought of, the weirwood door at the wall, since they're already up there. Um, I don't know, but that's that that has me thinking. I really like that. Also makes me sad, though. Yeah, it makes us all sad. What do you think, Susie? <laughs> um, I clearly hadn't given um though I do seem to remember that when that episode happens that there was some comment from George that in the books it'll be a little bit different. So I do think that there will be some changes. I like Bubba's idea about the blockade. I think that would be very interesting. And I really don't have any other uh, ideas or anything else to add to that. Kelly, got a notion? Uh, my only question is that we're just all assuming that it's not going to be how it was in the show. Like there's not going to be a random door in a network of tunnels <laughs> suddenly. <laughs> no, you're right. It, it could be. It, it's just, it, it, it felt weird, to be honest, way back at the beginning of season six, I guess the second episode, when they introduced that that place had a door. You know, like, right. Oh, wait a minute, this cave has a door? And so they brought in hinges? Can, <laughs> right, exactly. So it felt <laughs> weird. Like, it almost felt, and I guess this question is coming from the idea that it felt like the show did just kind of add a door so they could have the hold the door moment then. But, but you're completely right. It could happen almost identical when, when Bran and, and Mira have to escape uh, the children of the forest. Cave. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And Bran doesn't have his wolf now either. Oh. Mm, yeah. Dead dire wolves. The death of summer, though, that was, that was a, a nice metaphor, I thought. Yes, I do too. Yeah. Um, I don't have an idea for a door. Um, I'll I'll say, uh, you know, I I, I don't feel, I I remember, Susan, I remember uh, that that comment that George made that it wouldn't be exactly the same. So I I don't feel like it'll it'll be in that way either. But I, the the Black Gate's as good a guess as as any for me. I I don't have a clue. To be perfectly honest, um, real quick, yay or nay? And there's no reason to elaborate on this, but uh, will Tyrion become Hand of the Queen in the books? Let's go to you, Bubba. Yay. Stephanie. Yay. Kelly. Yay? Question mark. <laughs> oh no, she's always got to make it so that she's in it. yeah. Um, I'll say nothing yeah. else. I just say yay question mark. <laughs> okay. And Susan, what do you think? Yay. And I say yay as well. Last, cool. uh, oh, two more. Here we go. Um, what about this whole Jane Talisa switch that the show did way back? And now we're looking at the fact that Jane uh, Westerling is still alive in the books, and this is something that people have probably already talked about, but she's killed in the Red Wedding, um, and the possibility of her being pregnant in the books. Um, but if the sh- books 
do kill Jane, is it possible that she could be killed when taken to Castle Rock by the Brotherhood? Wouldn't that be a nice fitting irony for the Brotherhood and Lady Stoneheart? Um, or is it possible, as uh, we had a gentleman who uh, sent in a whole bunch of theories during our Feast Dance Tandem read about where Jane Westerling actually was, did she possibly escape the same way the Blackfish did or uh, Brienne and Pod did on the show? Um, so do do we see any implications to the... Uh, George has kind of promised that uh, we're going to at least see her in one more uh, chapter. I, was it the prologue? Of the Winds of Winter, I think, perhaps. Yeah. Um, so, uh, what do we think is going on there? I mean, could Jane still affect the story? Um, should we just take the Talisa thing as um, uh, a way to make the Red Wedding more tragic, tragic for the television show? Uh, let's go to you first, Stephanie. You know, I think that they made such a point of it in the show of her being stabbed in the stomach and, you know, she was pregnant and everything. I don't think that Jane, her book counterpart, is pregnant or is going to have that much of a significant impact on the story just because, you know, they pretty much wiped out Rob and his line, um, you know, in the show. So to bring, to have that story continue, I think in the book would be cool, but I I, I don't see it happening. Very cool. And then that would mess uh, up the Grand Northern Conspiracy. <laughs> that would that would throw a wrench in it. Uh, definitely <laughs> yes. would throw a wrench in it, for sure. Um, well, maybe not for the conspiracy itself, not for the theory, but um, no. then the, re, the re, end result would be something yes. rather drastic, for sure. Uh, what do you think, Susan? Um, I don't really favor this because uh, it just seems to me that if... Uh, Jane was pregnant that that would add a complication to the story that just doesn't seem to make sense to me because what are they going to do with Rob's heir and uh, I, I agree I think it would just add complications the only thing that the only reason that I could see that entering into the story is if there was something about her being pregnant and then being killed because I just don't think the child could, could uh, make any sense to what's going forward with the story but that just complicates it to me. I think that, uh, you know, we're going to see her in that one chapter, whether she ends up uh, dying then or not, I don't know, but um, I don't think she's pregnant or going to have a child. Very good. And Bubba? I've never thought Jane Westerling was pregnant. I think if I, you know, if I really had to go to Vegas, I would bet it's a prologue chapter and uh, sorry, uh, The Winds of Winter is from this character, Forley Crester, who is the knight who's in charge of bringing her and Edmure to Castle Rock. I do believe they will get sacked by the Brotherhood Without Banners. Will Jane die in a Brotherhood Brothers Without Banners now led by Lady Stoneheart attack? Whew, boy, that would be dark. Uh, and George has said that this next book is going to have a lot of dark chapters. Uh, I, I would bet Jane has a 50-50 chance of getting out of the prologue, but she really doesn't have much to do with what I keep referring to, kind of the end game to end game. Right on. Sorry. And Kelly? 
Uh, I, yeah, I, I don't think it's going to have a consequence uh, that kind of reverberate, reverberates very well. I think it will have uh, some maybe impact on other characters. And the only ones I can think of would be like Blackfish or uh, Lady Stoneheart. Like Bubba said, that's the only thing I could think of is that there's a Lady Stoneheart appearance and she confronts Jane about, are you pregnant? If you're not, then you were in on it. If you are, then uh, that turns Lady Stoneheart around from vengeance to productivity or something. But seeing how it didn't, um, the show, you know, stab that right in the baby maker, I think it's going to be uh, something that is consequential for a character that's gone, which could be either Blackfish or <laughs> Lady Stoneheart, which is why I say those names. Very good. Right on. Well, Kelly, you've got the last subject for us to tackle here real quickly. Yeah, there were a couple of, of variations from the plots from the book up at the wall. Now, the show had did not have a baby swap with Gilly. Um, and I don't know if anyone can think of a consequence that that would have or if that implies anything about the baby in the book versus the baby in the show. What do you guys think? Uh, Matt, you can leave because I'm not ready. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think what I, as far as, as the Bill, Gilly baby swap, I think that that's an important storyline for Sam and for Gilly. I don't know how important it's going to be ultimately for Val or anybody else. Um, again, that might play more into the Melisandre thing and King's Blood and all of that, and that was the whole reason that they did it. Um, so I'll just leave it at that. What do you think, Stephanie? I I I agree. I find the implication, again, I keep using that word, about the king's blood <laughs> and Val, um, I find that most interesting. I think Val is really an interesting person, and we don't know that much about her in the books. Um, I know she's not part of the show at all, but, um, you know, I, 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 I like the, the king's blood part um, that Matt mentioned. And, you know, that baby in the show, he's like, five now but he's still a baby so I think that's kind of funny <laughs> <laughs> uh, Susan did we lose Susan again hello 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 I've had it on mute uh, <laughs> I think might be interesting here is when we brought up about Crafter's sons before and remember how they were coming uh, the, when uh, Gilly had the baby, they were saying, you know, Craster's sons were coming. You know, the baby that's left at the wall is actually Gilly's baby. That's actually Craster's last son. So would there be any implication with the White Walkers and that child? Hmm. That would that could be a possible ramification. Uh, Bubba, you want to go, and then we'll let Kelly wrap that question up. Yeah, I I like Val. I see. Her, I understand why the show didn't include her. That did just feel like a, a complication as opposed to I mean, I mean, uh, important plot point. So I hope. I hope that the White Walkers, you know, I hope they see their little brother in Gilly's baby and kill him gently. <laughs> Kelly, did you did you collect your thoughts on that? My only consequential thought was that it wouldn't give 
Sam will give you an incentive to go back to the wall. And at this point, like in the books, they obviously have that very strong maternal incentive to go back and switch the babies back or just make sure her offspring as well. But since they don't have that in the show, I wonder if that's kind of a tragic implication that they're not going to ever go back to the wall because um, they don't have the, I mean, besides for maybe a John motivation for Sam, uh, I don't see, I don't see Gilly having the motivation to go back to the wall. So that was the only difference that I saw um, that that could imply. Um, so the only other one that was at the wall was the rattle man. There was no man's raider anymore. <laughs> uh, but we do have uh, the rattle shirt um, switcheroo happening in the book. So does anyone see a consequence with that happening? Matt, tell me. <laughs> oh, yeah, I think I think that the fact that Mance is still alive in the books will have huge ramifications on what happens at Winterfell, uh, regardless of the pink letter. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I uh, because I, I just feel like that, that there's still much to be um, much to be gleaned from from his character yet, uh, because he is much more tied in with Jon Snow. Uh, in the books than that was ever presented in the show. Although I thought that they did a pretty good job in the show of having the two of them uh, find a, a, a mutual respect, but I, I feel like there's something more in the books. So I'm I'm looking forward to to Mance still being part of the books. Anybody and, else? Kind of, well, Me well, too. While we're talking about like the difference between the show and the book, is like, do you think him being dead in the show is not promising for for? Rattlemans in the book. Yeah, oh, I, I, I think that I think that probably that's true, but I still think he has a role to play before that happens. Okay. Wait, I'd Kelly, you don't a, think I'd um, call it a short role? He's dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Fair. <laughs> I was going to say, Kelly, you don't think that Mance is Rhaegar? <laughs> well. <laughs> Uh, well, clearly not in the show. Clearly in the show, no. there won't be the flashback for that. Uh, still, it's chance in the book. But, yeah, it's just curious that they didn't do that. I was holding out for it. And, nope, there was no, no switcheroo. So the the switcheroos switcheroo. were, were not, uh, were not a, a big hit on the wall. They, were, <laughs> they did go they went for zero <laughs> switcheroos. Okay, yeah, that's my, my, my curiosity. I just wanted to make sure we touched on those a little bit because the, the, the Mance Raider, I feel like, is the only thing that show watchers will get the surprise for in the books. Um, I guess Lady Stoneheart, too. But, yeah, those, those two things are kind of, like, <laughs> guaranteed to not happen in the show. Uh, maybe, maybe, probably. <laughs> yeah. Susan, any thoughts on Rattlemance? Um, I just think that his fate is going to be tied into how much uh, – the reality of the pink letter is in terms of him being in a cell wearing the skins of the uh, beer wives. You know, if that's true, then I don't think, I, I agree with Bob, he probably doesn't have a very, very long uh, story to go. Very good. All right. Well, uh, real quickly, we've got some feedback here. First, this hey, email Matt, from Tor. Yeah. Matt? I just want yeah. to say one thing that we didn't touch on, and I won't take long with this because it's already going so long, but two characters that are, I think, different from the show to the book were uh, Melisandre and uh, the Three-Eyed Raven in terms of their ages. You know, they talked about them 
on the show, like that the three-eyed raven has been sitting there waiting for Bran like for a thousand years. And they, with the reveal with how old Melisandre is in the show in the first uh, episode, I think that may be different than how old she is in the book. So I just wanted to bring that up as a potential difference as well. Yeah, that's a good point to bring up. Anybody have any thoughts on that? Not about the ages, but I think that I guess I do believe Melisandre is somehow not going to be in the north at a certain point in how she gets south. It'll be interesting to see how that goes down in the, uh, it'll be interesting to see how that goes down in the book. Yeah. But yeah, my kind of my point for bringing that up too is, I, and I know that Bubba doesn't like this theory, but the theory about Melisandre possibly being a child of uh, the uh, three-eyed raven uh, or a blood raven from, you know, some of those theories, again, they would be much younger than the characters were portrayed on the show. I mean, they'd still be a lot older than their, you know, like Melisandre is portrayed. She'd still be, you know, maybe, you know, 100 years old or something, but not like three or 400 years old like they suggested. So does that does that still bring into play the Shiera Sea Star theory? Right, as well? exactly. Right. Okay. Shiera would okay. be the, her mother, and and uh, Blood Raven her father, and that you know the, her the way she's described combines their features, and the fact that she recognizes Blood Raven in her visions, and a few other things. Gotcha. Gotcha. Anybody else on that? Those just seem like really awesome book flavor things that a show who doesn't have. The patience to get into, unfortunately. I can't think of any other consequence besides, like, that's a blooper, that's a goof for the show. Uh, <laughs> to, yeah, you know, it seems like it was a little bit poor writing. <laughs> oh, Kelly, you right. me laugh. <laughs> All right. Uh, we have some feedback here. Let's get through it real quick so we can get everybody out of here because everybody's up late now. Um Firstly, we have an email from Tori, uh, and this is about Azor Ahai, who says, Azor Ahai was known to temper the steel of his sword in the breast of the woman he loves. Sir Jorah is the only character who has a character that he deeply and truly loves. Danny is his niece Anissa. Danny promised him a Valerian steel sword upon being named her Queen's Guard, which he has yet to get. Also, he has grayscale being a magical disease which might prevent the cold from the others from greatly affecting him. Please tell me whether you think there is any text evidence that might bust this theory. Uh, Thank you, Tori, for the email. First of all, um, this isn't really a book question because you've combined something from the television show with the books. Jorah does not have grayscale in the books. Um, so I don't know where to take this idea as to far as Danny being his niece and Nisa, as we mentioned before, I personally think that, uh, if anything, Jorah is Danny's niece and Nisa. And I think Kelly agrees. Kelly does agree. I did. I totally was typing <laughs> that email up to you when we were talking about doing this earlier and I was loath to just let go with that idea because we didn't find time to make it uh, to meet up to do it. And I was like, I'll just email it to him. <laughs> I'm glad we got to actually talk about it too. So I absolutely yeah. agree. I, that would be way more satisfying for Danny's character um, to be that hero counterpart as opposed to the, the sacrifice counterpart. 
and it's all yeah. metaphorical. I think was everything else I was describing with it. It's just, it doesn't have to be an exact re- recreation of the story if it's an analogy of some sort. Right on. Uh, anybody else have any thoughts about this email, Bubba? Matt, I was going to say emails like this, emails like this from Tori, they're my Dropped out on me, buddy. I didn't hear you. Oh, I was saying Uh-oh. this email from this email email from Tori is my niece and niece. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, Stephanie, Susan, <laughs> either, either of you? I just like I said before, Jora would volunteer to be her niece and niece. So. <laughs> Matt, I'm glad that you pointed out that uh, Jorah doesn't have grayscale in the book. Uh, I hadn't even thought of that when I was reading through this, but the one question that I would just say is I'm not sure why the idea of having grayscale would make the others not affect you. I'm wondering where the evidence for that comes from. Uh, I guess a hardened skin would keep him from uh, being touched by the White Walkers. Not necessarily killed. Yeah, I'd wondered if there's if he's if he was suggesting that there was some book evidence that suggested that I I haven't seen it, so that was just my response. Very or good. is it or is it that the white and the white walkers will see George Grace Goodale and go, I'm not going to touch him. You touch him. No, I'm not going to touch him. You touch him. <laughs> ah, not <laughs> Gives him a chance to rain Poor fire George. down on him from above, the way Cersei would, right? <laughs> Um, now, this one is in response to one of our Grand Northern Conspiracy podcasts, uh, eloquently put together by Kelly and John, and meticulously and beautifully read by Susan and Mike and John and Kelly, and made a fool of by myself. Here we go. <laughs> Shadowcat Bex says, hello from the frozen tundra of Brooklyn. Uh, I think this was written during the cold. Thanks again for another fantastic episode. The GNC is what pushed me to the dark side of A Song of Ice and Fire fandom, nerddom. The readings were truly inspired and the discussion insightful. Good job, team. Yay, team! Um, Overall, I agree with the assessment that the GNC is not one conspiracy, but two lines of action. The first starting in the Riverlands and Rob's Will, and the second in the North and the fight for Winterfell. What I find most fun about the GNC is figuring out, tinfoil or otherwise, where the two will have or will meet. I won't go into each thread since you all did it much in much better detail than I ever could, but I want to give my thoughts on two main points. Overall, I think the North Winterfell storyline is much more is the much more conspiratorial one of the two starting with the Manderley's possession of Wex and the knowledge of the living Stark boys. If my understanding of the timeline is correct, they would have more time to spread that knowledge between the other houses versus the knowledge of Rob's will. Even if the news of Rob's will has reached Manderley and Glover by the time they head out for Winterfell, they probably would be more interested in having a trueborn Stark in their hands as opposed to Jon Snow. Side note, I have never read the conversation between Manderley and Davos regarding Ramsay's bastardy being a hatred of bastards in general, just their disgust for Ramsay. I think that this knowledge is at the heart of the resistance of the Bolton rule over the North and the double cross that will happen during the Battle of Ice. 
I did like the catch that Manderley never comes straight out and says Rickon when referring to the Stark on Skagos, but I do think Wex would be able to tell which child was older or younger, and I do think they would have asked that detail. But as was pointed out, I don't think Manderley cares that much about which Stark he has. But we also know George R. R. Martin well enough to know that this missing detail is probably important. The other big point that I want to bring up is the knowledge of the identity of fake Arya. I know that you have touched on this, but I think it has a much bigger clue to an organized resistance than I heard. I think that the news that Arya is fake traveled around prior to the wedding. Also, too many lords have met Arya, or at least might have the knowledge that Arya has the very distinct stark look to see right through the ruse. That being said, I think that it was a total if it was a total surprise to the arriving nobles, someone would have said something and loudly. Too many large lords are going with the mummer's farce for me to think it is not a conspiracy. All in all, I think both of these facts have made their way through the north. That coupled with the complacency of the wedding guests and the lack of hostages all lead to the organized betrayal of the Boltons and the turning of the tide for the Battle of Ice. Viva la resistance! Oh. So close. <laughs> Are we still here? What just happened? Yeah, Matt just dropped. I think Matt hung up on us. Yeah, he'll come back in a second. Oh, he was so close to finishing. <laughs> Maybe he's right. still reading. No, he, he's going to come back and he's oh, going to no. say, you know what, let me start over from the beginning. Welcome to Podcast <laughs> no. Minnesota, everybody. This is, he's going to be like, guys, I forgot to record this. Oh, no. <gasps> start over. Podcast Winterfell, episode number yada yada. Yada yada. Disparaging remark about myself. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it, guys. I can do the best, Matt. Nailed it. <laughs> okay, Kelly, you take over. Uh, no. <laughs> Here, talk oh, no, I put was probably. On hold on. Talk Matt, shoe is probably still recording, right? Yeah. I okay, know. So, so let's do this email from Chad. So you ready? Anyone still with ready? Me? In a funny oh, voice. <laughs> We're still here, Matt. What's up? Uh, okay. Let's see. Okay, that's what I got. I'm guessing, hoping at least, that we'll get some answers after the Battle of Ice. My headcanon says Amanderly will meet up with Stannis after the battle and relay some of this information. Then Davos will show up with Rickon, and then Sansa will show up with the Knights of the Vale. And you can make five more episodes for the GNC Part Two. <laughs> Thanks again all right. for all your hard work, Shadowcat Vex. All right. Uh, so uh, basically, a big endorsement for the GNC podcast and for uh, the theory itself. Anybody have any thoughts? I think I agree, Vex. Yeah, everybody all at once. Let's go with you, Bubba. Oh, sorry. I was going to go to that last point because we talked about how Rickon really might be a shaggy dog story. What if uh, Davos arrives back at White Harbor with Rickon and shaggy dog only to find out that uh, Manderly has been killed and his uh, jerk sons who weren't in on the plan are there and they kill Rickon that way. Oh, sorry. Oh. 
Love the email, Shadowcat Beck. All right. Stephanie, I thought I heard you saying something here. Oh, I just said I agree, and that was a good email, Shadowcat. <laughs> Very good. And uh, Susan, any thoughts? Uh, yeah, I really I liked it. I think he brought up a lot of good ideas. I also want to point out, Matt, that you did an excellent job of portraying Dion and some of the other voices. So uh, you you were uh, being too humble in your introduction <laughs> there. But uh, uh, I agreed with what he said about uh, the uh, uh, Manderly um, uh, talking about uh, Ramsey that uh, they didn't really, they weren't just down on Bastards, they were down on Ramsey. That was something I, I had uh, brought up in the show, and I think he brought up some good points. I liked his ideas about uh, fake Aria. Very good. And uh, Kelly gets to fist pump last because of this ringing <laughs> endorsement, and at the same time, shun my brand slash old nan uh, reading about the rat cook. Awful. Absolutely fired. Oh, my God, Matt. I nearly quit when I heard that rendition. <laughs> oh, that was so funny. You were so concerned that it bothered me, and I was just laughing my bottom off at you. Um, <laughs> no, uh, this, that's a really good point about the um, the the fake aria recognition. Like that, it was just kind of hard to find like a thread to connect all of the individuals recognizing it, and just which is how I did most of that. That. Um, episode was just trying to find a quote to tie into a, a point, which is really important to me. And there was the one quote from, uh, lady Barbara Dustin, sorry, who, who was saying that she obviously fairly obviously was implying that she knew that Aria was not real. But other than that, there was hard, like there's clues, but there's not contextual evidence. So very happy that somebody smart and, very brilliant Shadowcat called in for the 300th episode. It was very sweet to get to, to chat with her. Um, but the, uh, I'm very glad she pointed that out because that was, uh, <laughs> I was I was gripped with ire about that and I couldn't find a way to fit it in. And, and I'm very glad she pointed that out. Thank you, Beck. <laughs> All right. And uh, thank you very much, Bex, for the uh, for the email. One final email. And this one is from Chad who has said, who says, I was thinking it would be great to hear from those who contribute to your show. What story would you like to learn more about, either in a flashback or a standalone novella? Personally, I'm rather torn between the Red Grass Field or the Battle of the Trident. I think the latter would be best. It would be cool to read about what took out the killed Lewin Martell and wounded Sir Barristan and read about Robert swinging his hammer in victory. All right, Chad, thank you. Uh, let's go to you first, Kelly. Would, uh, what story of history would you like to see George write a novella about? Uh, the War of the Nine Penny Kings is probably the most curious uh, in recent history um, event that ties into the Game of Thrones storyline a lot. Uh, it's very cool to see a lot of the... the Characters in their prime and little baby Jamie, little baby Jamie getting his <laughs> his knife. Mm-hmm. Very cute. Um, that was probably the top of my list. I made a list for this, and that's I'll, I'll narrow it to one for you, Matt. Oh, <laughs> thank you, uh, Susan. <laughs> how about you? Um, yeah, I think the Battle of the Trident. I think that would be great. Um, I do believe that Martin has said that we're going to learn uh, what we 
need to about Robert's Rebellion by the end of this book, so maybe there will be some flashback stuff about that um, in there. But uh, whether or not we do get it, I do think that it would be wonderful to hear about the things that he mentioned here. Very good. And how about uh, you, Stephanie? Uh, I think this is a really good question. Um, and I was thinking about it, and I think I'd like to, not so much as an event, but I'd like to see maybe Rhaegar's perspective, especially at the tourney at Heron Hall. So I know we've seen that a little bit, but I think seeing his inside perspective or maybe Lyanna Stark's perspective, I think that would be, I would really like to see that. Uh, and I want to go back to the God's Eye Pact. I want to see the pact between the children and, and the first men. That's what I want to see. How about you, Bubba? Well, first of all, Chad, I hope you appreciate the fact that if Martin writes about any of these things other than finishing the next two books, I'm going to come after you, Chad. Don't give him any <laughs> But, Chad, in this imaginary world we're in, uh, because I like the current character so much, I'm, with, I'm like a lot of people. The Battle of the Trident, the Tournament of Heron Hall would be the most thrilling. I'll go to the one that I think we might hear about, you know, uh, in 30 years, and that is the tragedy at Summer Hall. Hmm. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, it'll be a dunk novella, right? Yeah, you would assume so, yeah. Yeah, right on. All right, well, thanks, everybody, for the great emails, and thanks to my panel who have endured a marathon of a cast, which will have been split into two podcasts for time constraints' sake uh, by the time we get there. <laughs> um, but uh, I do want to thank my guests for taking the time and lending their expertise. We'll start with you, Kelly, the grand author of the Grand Northern Conspiracy podcast, uh, as well as uh, John, we really appreciate the time you took in to you put into those last year. And how can people talk to you about a song of ice and fire so that you can give the other twenty uh, in a uh, <laughs> you know points of history that you would like to see in novella in spreadsheet form? Of course, uh, you, let me know uh, if you actually also have any additional deep, deep theories you want 20 pages of documents for. Uh, we may not make an episode of it, but I could type it up. I have idle hands these I, days. I've got her queued up for Southern Ambition, Southern Ambitions next. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say there can never be enough ideas. So send them my way, and I'll, and I'll tell you whether or not I, I can make a content that I can pitch to Matt and say, we can do a year's worth of podcasts about this, right? <laughs> you can do that at Kelly Underfoot. Uh, on the uh, the Twitters, and I will thank you on Twitter for it. <laughs> About once a month. Ah, um, <laughs> another person who is a part of the Grand Northern Conspiracy podcast, who I think we all are in agreement was the best reader in the last edition of one. Uh, <laughs> well, maybe next to Kelly and John. They read pretty good, too. Uh, me and Mike, we were just kind of swinging we were just we were, we were swinging and missing on some things but uh susan uh you're a, a song of ice and fire expertise and and your knowledge of other source material for us to dig into is always appreciated how can people talk to you about a song of ice and fire uh 
sure they can uh, join me on Twitter at Black Eyed Lily. And uh, my last comment, I want to—I believe it was Stephanie who brought up early in the podcast the idea of whether George was going to be finishing his books. And since we haven't gotten yes. a response for him or anything uh, this year yet, I do want to comment that I did hear at the Guadalajara International Book Fair his last appearance that. Uh, he did, the way he indicated it there, did make it sound like he is still busy working on it and uh, that he was uh, <laughs> planning to curtail his any uh, public appearances this coming year, uh, even less than he did this past year, until the book is finished. So that was what I heard. Yeah, we've heard that before. Haven't we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. But I thought I'd share that's the last side, latest side thing I've heard. Uh, at any rate, we do have, uh, we also have with us, of course, the person who has joined us on a, a great number of the Game of Thrones book reads, and has been a delight to have on the podcast, Stephanie. Stephanie, how can people talk to you about Game of Thrones or A Song of Ice and Fire? Thank you, Matt. It's always fun to be talking with all of you people, um, and you can find me on Twitter at S.M. Persephone. That's S-M-P-E-R-S-E phone. Excellent. And, of course, we are always honored to have with us the founder of the Double P Podcast Network. You can find that on Facebook. He's going to tell you how in a minute as well. But he's also the host of a slew of podcasts that you can find on that network. And uh, that includes the Joffrey of podcasts as well as podcasts covering Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, F, The Strain on FX, as well as uh, a podcast which will be covering uh, the the new edition of what? The, the, the recirculation of what? Bubba? Matt, if you can't remember, how are my <laughs> 899 Twitter followers going to remember? It's it was the just new a cue for you to yeah. drop Twin Peaks, baby. Twin Peaks is coming back this year, 2017, 25 years after we last saw it in the movie theater, Fire Walk With Me. <laughs> if you're interested in that classic show, go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, go to all your favorite podcast places and look for Twin Peaks, The Gifted and the Damned, as well as the granddaddy of all podcasts specifically about King Joffrey Baratheon, the Joffrey podcast. You can find that out as well. Matt, podcast Winterfell is my Nisa Nisa, and after four hours, I want to stab <laughs> it through the heart. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for uh, having me on again. It's been great. <laughs> great. And uh, folks, that's it. If you want to find out how to contact me, you can follow me at Fit and Trim. That's F-I-T-T-E-N-T-R-I-M. Right. Or you can follow me as the 67th CJG man. That is uh, CJG man 67 on Twitter. <laughs> follow those guys. Here's Axel Foley to tell you, uh, you know, a bunch of false information about me. Bye. <laughs>